Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Eniash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. And, ah, our third seat's empty. Damn it. What happened to Jace? Jace is, uh... Dead? Abducted. In a different dimension. Let's go with a different dimension, because I just watched Into the Spider-Verse yesterday. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, by dead, you know, Jace would never be really dead. It would be like one of those coming back to haunt us afterwards sort of dead. I'm not going to run at that joke. I feel like it didn't land. Oh, okay, sorry. But I'll, I'll, no, no, I, yeah, I'm not shaming it. It's just I'm stuck on Into the Spider-Verse now. She's saving uh, Denver in an alternate universe. Um, or they're saving Denver in an alternate universe. He, He's fuck. saving Denver. Jace, Damn, I'm sorry. Dude. I, I am scrambled today, okay. if, if anyone hasn't noticed in the first 10 seconds. But I'll get it together. I feel like that's my excuse all the time, and I just need to figure out what my, what my problem is. Not which, enough drugs? Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> um, which actually is kind of the focus of today's episode. On uh, how, how to get one's shit together. Okay. That's that's a weird way. That's a bad frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so. no, no. That's, that's not how I would have put it, but that's one way of putting it. Me either. Uh, bad segues are one of my pastimes. Oh, bad segues are tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I, I just... I'm going to need you to get all the way off my back about those bad segues. <laughs> yes. Oh, let me get off that thing. <laughs> oh, my God. We, this this cannot become a fan cast of that. All right, so we're talking about the pitch meetings on YouTube. Check those out. They're wonderful. They're, so the thing about the pitch meetings, I love them. There's... Basically, there's a bunch of, like, jokes about movies uh, that... The silly stuff that happens in movies that wouldn't happen in real life. And then there's 10... I think uh, somewhere between 8 and 12 recurring jokes that uh, appear in every single episode. I think it's 4 or 5, but I'll take your word for it. In any case... Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. I, I feel like a total dork for just, like, repeating things. I, like, remember being in high school and, like, quoting Monty Python at each other. And, like, we thought we were all so smart because we had all these Monty Python stuff memorized and nobody else got it. And so that was, that was how we were the in-crowd. But, like, looking back on it, I was like, oh, my God, we were just playing the same in-crowd game. And so I don't want to be like that. But also, it's it's super fun. But now, now we're self-aware of it. So yeah. it's less cringy. I think it's hilarious. And I love that I've made super easy, barely an inconvenience, a catchphrase at work. Like with my team, this is something that there was a thing I did. What? I guess time is weird and squishy now. It was put them in a couple weeks ago. Uh-huh. And it was going to be all big, the complicated thing. And I'm like, actually, no, because Django 2.2, the framework we're using, is, is this cool advanced feature on it. It's literally two lines. And Django? Why- it's the uh, Python framework. Is it named after the the guy who got unchained and then killed uh, people in the I Quentin Tarantino movie? I don't think so. Damn it! But Python is named after Monty Python, and like the 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 no. the, the source documentation has lots of references to the Monty Python. Oh, neat. Yeah. Okay, it all comes full circle. It's not named after the snake. Um, but I was like, oh no, check this out, because Django can do this. It's actually super easy. And then my my the guy is showing this to me is like barely an inconvenience. And I was like, <laughs> exactly. So yeah. it's a little little in jokes. But I mean, it's it's like it feels like Family Guy where they just reference other things that are funny as opposed to being funny. And I... <laughs> that's a good way to sum up Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I have so much fun doing it. You know, there's there's a certain pleasure to it. When Brian and I did the doof and chill for like the meet the new doof members on our first month on the uh, network for that podcast at the end scott was like i don't like this question because i don't believe in guilty pleasures but like what's your like guilty go-to tv show and i was like i totally agree with your assessment there's no such thing if you're having fun who cares yeah so i don't believe that um yeah what is it people say that i love bad movies or whatever because they're so bad they're good like i just i don't understand that mindset either i like a movie or i don't and i think i honestly uh really like um rocky horror picture show i think it's a good movie and i understand how like it's campy and it has low production value and all those other things that might make it bad but like it makes me feel things or it did when i saw it you know when i was younger and now i have the memories of those and like when people watch the room because it's so bad it's hilarious i watch it i'm like 
This is just bad, man. I'm never gonna see that movie. It's just bad. Yeah, no, fuck that. I've seen the I've seen the famous couple clips yeah. that are in every joke thing about anything, and and then that makes me wonder, like, do they actually think Rocky Horror is bad? Do they? Now I'm like feeling all insecure because like I actually like Rocky Horror, and like if we watch it together, are they are they like the person who's laughing at my kid's jokes because my kid is a retard instead of because the jokes are funny <laughs> or that the kid is cute or let's say to indulge the kid uh, well yeah. yeah okay yeah but no that's a that's a difference between laughing to indulge the kid as opposed to laughing because the kid's being stupid and you're laughing at how dumb the kid is are they are they like is it laugh- spirited or is it appreciative i guess yeah i don't know and at the end of the day i wouldn't worry about it like, no i like the things i like and i enjoy right. them and, gonna, and I, I give that to everybody right yeah. i'm not going to i'm not gonna say someone they're having fun the wrong way you're exactly. having wrong fun but you know i just i don't understand it yeah well i refuse to like accept any judgment anyone throws at me i, I like watching family guy and american dad what's my current guilty pleasure show i've i've it's been years and years since we watched it and they released a couple more seasons of uh it stopped airing a couple years ago cutthroat kitchen okay this cooking show with alton brown it's hilarious i won't summarize it but we had, we watched like the first 10 11 seasons i don't know six years ago mm-hmm. and then they put out a couple more on hulu and so now we're rewatching the first several seasons and it's been long enough that we've forgotten them so like i'm rewatching a cooking show that's that's like i mean what what could be more of a, a quote guilty pleasure than that but i don't give a shit judge me yeah. try yeah do you do you realize we haven't even introduced the show's topic and we're already like ten minutes off topic? Well, let's I guess see. you can't be off topic if you never introduced the topic. But before we reveal what the secret mystery topic of today is, uh, we are doing the sequence posts because that is what we do. So starting with science as attire. Cool. The post starts out with a summary, not a summary, uh, a quick mention to X Men, and this is like always a timeless reference for any geeks, but. The X-Men movie had just came out recently, so this was something that, like, anyone in the general um, American culture would have gotten, even if they weren't a geek. So, do you, was, remember, do you remember the opening to the 2001 X-Men with Patrick Stewart's voice over, like, that neuron little flying sequence with the credits? It's no. It's just, like, mutation. It's the it's the core of evolution. Sometimes it causes radical... I forget what it was, but it was, okay. it was, it was exactly this thing that he's talking about. Cool. And it was... Uh, it was memorable at the time that he wrote this, and it's timeless, like you said. So yeah. yeah. So as everyone is familiar, you know, you can have a mutation, and that gives you superpowers. And one of those potential superpowers is Storm's ability to control lightning. <laughs> the quote that I remembered from this post before even having to reread it was, if one generation of mutation could cause a human being to be able to generate and throw lightning from the fingertips, that would outright falsify the theory of evolution. Yes. And, like, it's, it's one of those... The it's followed by the line, it would be worse than finding rabbit fossils in the Precambrian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that was one of uh Stephen Jay Gould's um like comebacks from like how would you falsify evolution? This is obviously you know one of those bullshit theories and he just mumbles into the microphone or he like kind of grumbles in the microphone, he's like fossilized rabbits in the Precambrian. Nice. And it's like, yes, like that He did his voice pretty well there. I did Richard Dawkins' impression of his voice. I didn't actually see Stephen Jay Gould oh, do it. Okay. I'm not even hundred percent positive of it. Oh, was it Gould? What did I say? Oh, it may have been Gould, but the the voice you did I thought I heard Sagan in there. Oh, I wish. Okay. No, yeah. Um in any case, I forget if it was Gould or whoever is whoever Dawkins is quoting, but I remember that quote third hand. Um, so that's why the rabbits thing was also timely because this was in the era of new atheism books and all that stuff. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, he points out that X-Men comics, use terms like evolution, mutation, and genetic code purely to place themselves in what they conceive to be the literary genre of science, which is something we mentioned last episode too. 
And Eliezer says, the part that scares me is wondering how many people, especially in the media, understand science only as a literary genre. Yeah, he says that probably an actual majority of the people who believe in evolution use the phrase because of evolution, because they want to be a, be a part of the scientific in crowd. Belief as attire, like wearing a lab coat. Exactly. And this is whenever I see those like, I fucking love science Facebook groups or whatever, this is exactly what I think of. Yeah. And I remember conversations with people like in college and high school who would say things like this and they would argue, you know, basically the same people that were like in the era that I was in, like just coming out of, of like how much fun it is to argue with religious people. Mm -hmm. And they would, you know, throw evolution talking points out, but they, they didn't understand what they were arguing uh, in defense of, mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't make them. It, they they happened to be right, but they were they were really just arguing for their side, yeah. and they weren't arguing. They were I mean they were arguing for the truth. It's it's hard. To, like, what do you call it if somebody is uh, doesn't really know what they're talking about, but is arguing for the right thing and using the right words? It's lucky false knowledge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, lucky is another great word for it. <laughs> I saw the best troll in the world recently. Um, I think it was posted on our Discord. Uh, someone says whenever he talks, whenever he has meetings with philosophers over Zoom, he uses a fake background. That's a uh, picture of his current background, so that uh, the philosophers will have true, justified beliefs that happen to be false. <laughs> yeah, it's or uh, that happen to be not real information or right, something ba- yeah. based on information that isn't real. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, only only a philosopher would care, and that's just perfect trolling their epistemic status of that person's background is 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 shakily founded yeah yeah so anyways um yes the the belief is a tire thing I, I this is more of like a setup for other things but it's it's an important point that a lot of people i don't know just care about looking like they're in the right group rather than really knowing stuff yeah and i mean as a from a purely consequentialist point of view, it's like great as long as you're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. you know. Like I'd rather, as long as long as part of your your belief as attire means voting for the right things or uh, See, I don't know I advocating the correct policies. I disagree entirely because then they're like like we just said they're lucky, right? Like I, I I also fucking love science, and I really hope that the people who fucking love science really do fucking love science, so that um, they can incorporate actual evidence and changing you know, changing knowledge into their worldviews. But I get the feeling the vast majority of them happen to fucking love science because it supports their current view. And if the science were to shift, they would be like, oh, well, fuck those scientists all making me angry and shit. And, um, and just not follow those things anymore. And I would much rather someone have an actual true belief, desire for true beliefs. And, um, and let them take that, them, like, let them. I see what you're saying. I would rather have that too. Yeah. But if I don't get that, mm-hmm. then at least have them rather, I'd, I'd rather have, uh, I'd rather have soldiers on my side, even if they don't know why that's the right side to be on. <laughs> right? <sighs> now, now, don't get me wrong. I, that's that's a bad way to look at the world. That, that I wish the world wasn't that way. Yeah. But uh, in this tortured analogy, since our votes are soldiers... Uh, or since our votes are bullets, I'd rather them be shooting the right way. <laughs> like I, it, I would love for them to, for my, for my people to know what they're doing and why, and 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 uh, have the right motivations. Yeah. And the more, the merrier. But if it's not going to everybody, and like some of them are going to just do it just to impress their their friends or something, like great, cool, I'll I'll take what I can get. No, I would rather have people voting against me, but who at least 
think that they're voting for the right reasons and actually be concerned about the truth because those are people that I am confident uh, would switch over to the right side if you could show them the truth, like with evidence and with um, argumentation. And like that is something that reality doesn't um, budge on. If, if there is a correct side, it is there to be found. And eventually either I'll go to their side or they'll come to my side, but the side will be right. Whereas the people who happen to be right and are recruiting science for their side as, as soldiers, that's great. But if it turns out that they're wrong, you, you know, you, you aren't going to convince them. They, they will not stick to the truth. They just want you to vote their way. Like, I, I think if you're not going with something empirical, like, um, you know, provable positions to decide how you vote, what are you de deciding by? Are you deciding how to vote because of who your in-group is or who has, you know, the sexiest celebrity endorsements or who has the greatest force of guns on their side? Because those are all things that I don't want to be the focal point of the battlefield. I don't want to fight over who has the sexiest celebrities or who has the most guns or who can most marshal, you know, hatred or passion on their side. I want the fight to be over who can prove the truth of the matter. I do too. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying I'll take what I can get right now. In an ideal world, that sounds perfect. Mm. But it's it's kind of like, I it's mean, short term thinking. Uh, I'm I am short term thinking right now. Okay. Yeah. It's like it's like right now we and this I stretching again the analogy more. We're at war now. With who? Uh, the 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 wrong, uh, the the people advocating for wrong ideas. Will we still be at war in fifty years? I sure hope not. But like right now, we well, we, we need we need feet, we need feet on the battlefield. See, I I think we've been at war for at least a hundred years, maybe longer. And so I'd much rather have uh, the weapons on our side that will have the correct side winning fifty years from now, as opposed to just winning right now in the short term and assuming this will not come up again. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll keep indoctrinating them while they, while they keep fighting. Oh, right. That's not that. That's we're, we're getting away from the post. We are. Sorry. No, no, you're good. I, Damn I, it. It's a good mind aside. killed again. No, no, it's fine. Um, Eliezer goes on to say, I encounter people who are quite often willing to entertain the notion of dumber than human artificial intelligence, or even mildly smarter than human artificial intelligence. Introduce the notion of strongly superhuman artificial intelligence and they'll suddenly decide it's pseudoscience. And it's not that they think that they have a theory of intelligence which lets them put a calculated theoretical upper bound on the power of optimization process of an optimization process. Rather, they strongly associate superhuman AI to the literary genre of apocalyptic literature, where an AI running a small corporation associates the literary genre of Wired magazine. Right. Um, which is now you see the flaw inherent in your system, right? If you have people associating with uh, what they believe to be, you know, science and lab coats and the attire of science, then if someone makes the argument, hey, uh, this AI thing, I, we don't know what the upper limit of an optimization process is, but we think it might be much smarter than humans. And now suddenly they're not on your side because they're like, oh, that's that's just apocalyptic fiction. That's not real science. So that, and I don't fucking love apocalyptic fiction. And yes, and I I, I, I fully own the flaw of my thinking. Like I said, it, it's, <laughs> okay. it's this isn't like what I advocate. This is where I think we are now. Like if Bill Gates wanted to give a billion dollars towards safe AI research, and he wanted to do it to signal to all of his friends how smart he like how smart he was, mm -hmm. or because like hey look how look I'm very forward thinking or something. Mm -hmm. I don't you know I don't care why he's doing it. I care that hey good things are happening. Like right now he's, he's on the track to cure, like to solve the malaria problem on earth. Right. If, if he does that, I don't care if he's doing it just to, you know, uh, 
for the social esteem. You know, I don't, I don't care if he's doing it because he lost a bet. Like, it, if he does it, awesome. But do you think that's why he's doing it? I think he's doing it because he cares. Right. Yeah. He actually is convinced by both compassion and the science. Right. Which is why it's fortunate that we have people who are actually convinced by science. Whereas if all he wanted to do was look good to his followers, he would fund like more pre-K education or something. Have you ever met like an aesthetic vegetarian? What is an aesthetic vegetarian? Like someone who doesn't eat meat because it's icky. Oh. Like just the idea of like, oh, just ripping into an animal with my teeth just feels gross. I think so. So like, sort of. I feel like a vegetarian yeah, is on the right side of, of the moral fence on where on what to eat. Yeah. And if they're if they're e- if they're not eating meat for what to me don't sound like good reasons, like mm-hmm. I don't really care. I think you're doing the right thing. Granted, yeah. I eat meat. I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. Um, I was vegetarian for years and fell off the wagon and never found it again. Um, so if the aesthetic vegetarian at some point got over their grossness of meat and was like, oh, this is pretty good, and started eating meat, how would you feel about that? I would. Oh bummer, we lost a troop. Really? I mean, what else would I feel? Well, because you eat meat. Right. I'm 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 not so I, you I'm don't a hypocrite. Care that much, right? Okay. I suck. I'm not I'm, saying you suck. No, I'm, I'm just fo- saying you don't care that much. I I don't. Um, but I, you I, kind of I, care more about the extinction of the human species, I assume. Yeah. Okay. So the I'm also AI I, I, thing I, I, act, might... I act just as much in favor of that like verbalized preference that I do about my meat eating thing, though. Yeah. Okay. I I do basically fuck all to save the save the world, like. I, I, it would be nice to do more. You, you help spread the word. I help spread the word. I donate a little money. You like, should probably kind of keep it on the down low that you're a hypocrite, though, <laughs> I, <laughs> while spreading the word. Well, I remember my parents telling me not to smoke. Mm-hmm. They've both been smoking and still smoke for 40 years. I don't mm-hmm. know how old they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, they're right. They're like, don't smoke. It's bad for you. Yeah. It, the fact that I, they're saying that, you know, whilst holding a cigarette doesn't make their statement wrong. Okay. It, it just, it means that they... Uh, they have an addiction. Yeah, and it means that they they don't seem to believe what they're saying enough to actually do anything about it. Granted, yeah. eating meat and not donating not not donating enough to Miri isn't an addiction. Um, it's 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 so there's it depends a weak, on how you define enough. You there, know? There's a there's a there's a weakness of analogy there. But like, what have I done in my advocacy for like animal? Uh, well, what I'm saying is, if Bill Gates did not care about science and believing things that were true do you think he ever would have gone the route of donating money to ai safety probably not exactly yeah eh, yeah i know I, and i hear what you're saying and on a quick aside i eat way less meat than i did 10 years ago oh. uh, actually no 10 years ago i was a vegetarian 15 years ago okay um and i i make an effort to buy like well-sourced things that i do eat cool um so I don't know. Like I'm, I'm doing, it's one of the, like, I also don't believe in like ethical black and whites. Like if you're, I don't know. Right. If, so if you're donating to charity, for example, mm-hmm. you should be doing what Will McCaskill and Stephen Pinker or Stephen, um, wait, why am I blank? Jesus. He wrote animal liberation. All animals are equal. Uh, I believe that's Stephen Pinker. No, no. Uh, Peter Singer. Peter, yes, you're right. Yeah. Well, who was Stephen Pinker? He wrote the rise and fall or the, the, better angels of our nature right okay um, thank you no it's we're good uh like peter singer and will mccaskill both live at uh like the comfortable poverty level i think will mccaskill mm-hmm. in i know he's like the youngest tenure prof- professor i think at oxford so whatever you have to make to live in oxford i think he lives on the equivalent of like thirty to six thousand pounds a year and then he donates the rest and like that's great should we and if we buy what he says which i do we should all be doing the same thing um what i do instead is donate a tiny fraction 
and realize that I'm doing much better than I would be otherwise and better than most people. Yeah. So like, it's not necessarily about doing everything all the way. Mm-hmm. It's um, about pushing that Overton window. Yeah. And you know, so like if, if you're concerned about animal uh, well-being and you like eating meat, maybe do one day a week where you don't eat meat. Right. And you're in, this may be, we'll transfer into in today's topic. Like it, it's, this isn't again, like a kind of thing where I can point to the sequence where I got this lesson, but like, Actually, I kind of can, except it was a Scott Alexander post. Uh, <laughs> I think there was a sequence post that was of the, I don't remember what the ex- exact term was, but it was the don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Perfect. Yeah. So, all right. That, maybe that was something I internalized without realizing it. But you can do better without having to shame yourself for not doing perfectly. Yeah. And while we're on the note of the sequences, I'll keep pushing through this one. Okay. Um. Basically, the, we, I mean, we've kind of hit this one. Like... The, the people who dismiss super AI but not standard AI aren't speaking from within a model of cognition. They don't realize they need a model. They don't realize that science is about models. Yeah. They're, they're just hearing this and they've got it in their head as... I love that line. That's really damning. Yeah. and, and I, They don't I mean, realize they need a model. Yeah. Um, it's, it's damning only within like the social sphere who has the vernacular to like get why that's a a, a sick burn yeah. um so the rest of them it's like i don't know what the fuck you're talking about what do you mean models i got a train set at home you know I and know. i think i think that's like i mean the namesake of less wrong that's kind of the whole point of the the bayesian rationality movement right is to make our models be less wrong over time right because more accurate models are better in every way for anything you want to do and that's yeah man that sounds like a great like way to end the like core part of our episode is like the goal is to be less wrong. <laughs> so what, what what do you do to do that? And it's like, yeah, you make incremental steps and it doesn't, it's not about perfection. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's the, the goal is perfection, mm-hmm. but the, the path there is to be a little more accurate whenever you can. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Our next post is fake causality. And it starts out talking about phlogiston. Have we talked about the phlogiston thing before? You know, this is going to be episode one, like eleven or something, or one ten. Mm-hmm. That puts us at like four years almost. Okay. I my answer is that's my long-winded way of saying I have no idea. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Probably. I think we have, but if we haven't, I'll give a quick recap um, for people who aren't familiar. I could have sworn there was an earlier sequence about this, but maybe not. Uh, Phlogiston was uh, the medieval alchemical equivalent of the Greek elemental fire. It is how they explained what fire is. Uh, The examples given in the post are that when you burn wood, it turns to ash because the hot, orangey, burny stuff is phlogiston leaving the wood. And the ash that remains is, you know, the original true material of what would be once the phlogiston is removed. And uh, if you started burning something in a sealed container, eventually it would stop burning because the air became saturated with phlogiston and couldn't hold anymore. So it couldn't leave the wood anymore. That kind of thing. Um, and he points out that, uh, phlogiston was a fake explanation. It didn't actually explain anything at all. The question is, uh, you know, what is the hot glowy thing that happens when, uh, when you burn something and the answer is, oh, that's phlogiston. Like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. That's, it's, it's within stuff. And then it gets released and goes to other stuff and like, oh, all right. But but it doesn't actually explain anything at all because your 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 answer is basically a sequence of syllables that points at the thing you were asking about in the first place. It doesn't give you any any ability to predict things, any ability to um, extend uh, this knowledge into other areas. 
it's it's less of a model and more of like a sticker you put on that part of your map. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how do you do that? Magic. That's not an explanation. Yes. Because <laughs> it's do it. Phlogiston. Oh. Yeah. It's it and to, to the right mind, you look at that answer and you're like, that's not a fucking answer. Um. So unfortunately, and this is something uh as as a relevant aside, anyone should uh who has the least bit of like inclination to do so read any book on like the history of science mm. i recommend um oh i'm blanking on the author's name it's a brief history of nearly everything okay. and it's just a summary of how we came to know what we know the history of plate tectonics the history of how we know the earl the earth is round um how we know the core is made of molten iron like all these things mm. are stuff that i believe but i don't i don't i haven't directly observed plate tectonics right. a friend of mine was in an earthquake a few weeks ago but like who knows what's causing that that could have been one of those uh, angry gods yeah one of one of those Vulcan, phlog- right? phlogiston things who knows right yeah. um so and i'm using phlogiston as a placeholder i realize that's not what it was used for in the past the the takeaway from it that's really mind blowing is that, like all the stuff that we were taught in elementary school about like the basic facts of the universe are re- really really new discoveries in the history of our species yeah. like like there's in, people in living memory, or there's people still alive right now that had to be convinced plate tectonics exists. In the original version of Carl Sagan's Cosmos, um, it talked about how we don't know what killed the dinosaurs. Oh, really? When they re-released it in like 1990-something, okay. um, they updated it a bit because it was in the mid to late 80s that the, that the understanding... The understood fact of the meteorite impact knocking them out was widely accepted. Oh, shit. Like, this sounds like a thing that we've known for hundreds of years, right? Oh, yeah. Asteroid meteorite killed the dinosaurs. Like, we've all always known that. But we have not all always known that. Your parents weren't taught that in school. Well, I'd be damned. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Yeah. So, like, that, that sort of reflection. And then you look back on, oh, our, you know, so you hear about the dumb things people were doing 300 years ago. You wonder how could they possibly have been so dumb. It's like, because no one had the faintest idea of what was going on yeah. for the longest time yeah. and even now i mean we've got a great idea i hate to be like one of those people like oh we universe is still so unknown it's such a mystery there's plenty of cool mysteries out there to find and there's lots of unknowns we have a much stronger idea now than a we've ever had in the past and we've got a pretty good fucking idea like the standard model of physics is not going to be uh completely right. thrown it's, it's not going to be completely wrong yeah. right it's going to be adjusted right might be superseded by like a deeper knowledge, but it's still going to be a damn good approximation. Like Newtonian mechanics is still a wonderful approximation of physics for anything on the human scale. Right. And, you know, if you're doing chemistry, you're totally fine working with like the Bohr model, but like atoms are not little ping pong balls. Yeah. And it, when, when you're a theoretical physicist, it's, it's a whole different landscape. But if you're, if you're to the, you know, if you're, if you're wondering what'll happen when you're, uh, pouring a little oil on the pasta noodles that you're cooking to make it stop boiling or something. You don't need to be a theoretical physicist thinking about the the wave function of what's happening at the quantum scale of it. It's like you just need to know, oh yeah, oil dissipates the surface tension and does something else. I'm not a clearly don't cook either. So Right. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what is this oil that you speak of? Can't you pour a little vegetable oil on boiling water to keep it from like going completely nuts and boiling over? I have no idea because I do not cook. Like I said, I literally have no idea what you're talking about okay. right now. Well, uh, that's, this is an empirical question. I'll get back to you guys in a couple of weeks. Okay. All right. But uh, the point he makes is that phlogiston was widely accepted for a very long time because fake explanations don't feel fake. And that's what makes them dangerous. And uh, I don't know if any of our listeners used to be religious. I was as a child. And uh, it, like, it just felt like a fact of the universe that the supernatural beings exist. None of it ever felt fake at the time. 
because you don't you don't realize yeah i've used this analogy before that like when i was a kid i believed in the like my parents are vaguely religious to the point i couldn't even tell you what flavor of christianity they are if they have one um like so i believed the vague facts of the bible just like i kind of believed that japan existed Mm -hmm. like i'd never been there i'd seen it on a map but i'd seen pictures of jesus Mm -hmm. like so it's like oh yeah i'll take your word for it and it just falls into the same truth bucket in my head as everything else i don't know at what age i started putting together a probably bullshit bucket and a definitely bullshit bucket or a definitely probably bullshit bucket but like everything just kind of went everything as a kid just went to that same like belief you know Mm -hmm. add, add this to the things of things you know yeah i used to think that men had one less rib than women and yeah it because well, that's that's not a a fake explanation that's just a fake belief but yeah. a fake explanation is kind of the same way yeah like a fake explanation is like it it's it's a it seems like it's an answer but it's not really right and that when you you realize that when you realize that you can't make a new prediction off of this explanation it doesn't tell you anything yeah it it it's it's an answer to a multiple choice question on a test it's a lot like a password, but it's in in many cases, or I guess in the case of fake in the case of fake explanations, it's actually worse than a password because it's actually wrong. Yeah. Um, and the problem is that sometimes it feels like it's knowledge mm-hmm. because you don't most most of the time many people are running around they don't realize that they need some working cohesive model of how things are supposed to fit together. Well, I mean, phlogiston makes the fire hot that's knowledge right it feels like knowledge yeah i've i could because i can i can say that as a sentence and if you ask me what does flotchison do mm. i could say it makes stuff hot right so it feels like knowledge yeah. um but when when i ask you all right well when i finish burning this pile of wood will it weigh more or less than it did when it before i started burning it ah. based, based on your flotchison theory what, what do you anticipate ah, that depends on whether flotchison has positive or negative weight i guess <laughs> well you're you're the flotchison expert you tell me right uh, I would have to guess that it would weigh less because everything has weight, right? Well, is, is phlogiston going in or out? You know, is the other question. No, phlogiston's going out because the ash is what would be what wood would be like without phlogiston in it. Okay. So the ash would weigh less than the wood. All right. Well, so then, like, I mean, so, like, I mean, which I'm actually not sure if ash does weigh less than wood or not. It, it I think, typically weighs less depending on what you burn. Okay. Uh, wood, I think, weighs less because you're releasing the hydrocarbons when you're burning it. But like you're getting, you're leaving some of the other stuff. I forget what wood's made of. I'm not. A, it's been a while since I've taken a science class. I mean, I could see wood weighing less just because a lot of it is blown out, typically, you know, as uh, cinders and ash and stuff that get carried out. But and all the water in it will evaporate when it's being burned too. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Any water that's left in it. But generally, isn't um, oxidization the process of adding oxygen? to to something exactly so like i think if you burn a magnesium strip mm-hmm. it'll weigh more afterwards mm-hmm. um so like phlogiston theory wouldn't predict that right phlogiston is stuff leaving the system not entering it yeah um it doesn't explain why when you cover a candle it goes out like if you put a lid on a candle with like a no, candle did, in the jar did explain it because the air became saturated phlogiston and couldn't hold anymore hmm it's not something you would have predicted beforehand, right? But since they knew that's what happened, they fit the with... yeah they fit the the explanation to fit the model, yeah, um, which is science backwards, which right. gets you fucked up. Yeah, that's near the end of the uh, the post says thanks to hindsight bias, it's not enough to check how well your theory predicts facts you already know. You have to predict for tomorrow, not yesterday. I like that. That's a good takeaway quote too. 
so many of these are good bumper stickers. Yes. Or, you know, maybe not bumper stickers because that's not going to entertain anyone on the road. But a lot of these are just great little uh, sound bites. I think you have to predict for tomorrow, not yesterday. I mean, it sounds like, an, like an, a, total, a tautology, but like it's not how most people run around all the time, right? Right. They say, I totally would have seen, I totally saw that coming. Yeah. Not, could you tell me that yesterday? Yeah. Right? No, no, no. Not, can you tell me tomorrow what will happen? Because if you ask, could you have told me that yesterday? They would have said, yeah, of course I would have told you that yesterday. Right, right. Yeah. I said it backwards. Yeah. The yeah. real question is, can you tell me what's going to happen tomorrow? Cool. All right. So those were our two posts for today. And boy, did we get off on a tangent, but hey, it was fun. That's why we're here. Exactly. If we if we stayed on topic and didn't like ramble a bit, these episodes would be 90 or 60 minutes long. And like, some people would be like, oh, thank God, please, <laughs> please give a shorter episode. We're, we're a bi-weekly podcast. We can ramble a bit. That's true. And it's more fun for us, which is also important because we, we're the ones that have to come back and do this every couple of weeks. Yeah. If this wasn't fun, we wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. But speaking of fun things to look forward to in the next fortnight, we are doing three posts. Brace yourselves, not two. We're doing oh. three because they fit together real well. We're doing semantic stop signs and the famous mysterious answers to mysterious questions and the futility of emergence. Huzzah. Which I'm looking forward to. Those are... Those are all great. This is all part of, I think, the map and territory sequence, which is the one that I remember reading first okay. and having just, this was like all the, like the, this is so cool moment for me. And then mm -hmm. like afterwards, you're still reading and learning, but this was the, uh, this was the really big, this yeah. was the first Iron Man movie. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And then you're getting more awesome, but like, this is the first ride up. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah. This is the, the zero to one change. Yes. As who was that Teal or Musk that said that? I think that was Musk, right? Good. The difference going from zero to one is drastic more difference than the from going one to two. Hmm. That's a good good quote, but I couldn't give it couldn't give you the attribution. Okay. Alrighty, so on to our actual uh topic. Let's see if we can segue this in. So that that is one this isn't a rationality technique, but that is one thing because I Alright. Today's topic <laughs> That we've, been, that we've been putting off for ages, and we'll probably touch again when Jace joins us next or for next episode, I want to say next week. How do the methods of rationality improve your day-to-day -day life? Yes. And I'm so this is a not rationalist technique, but one thing that I do to improve my day-to-day -day life is not care what people have to say or judge my stuff. So if, if they can judge me for rewatching Cutthroat Kitchen, y'all can shove it. Yeah. yeah. That's right. I want to say real quick that this one, um, we're doing this topic because Pointless One is donating at 69 a month. Seriously? Nice. Oh, nice. But holy crap, that's also a lot of money per month. That nice. is a lot. Thank you so much for your... I uh, I know that's on the list um, of our patrons that we thank, but I, I uh, somehow forgot the, the number there, and that is uh, substantial yeah. and remarkable. So And they requested an episode sake. on rational practices for everyday living, so hell yeah, we're going to do that. I think you get to pick at least two more and join us for an episode whenever you want. So Also, because they uh, hated We Want More... What was the rationale there? Oh, that's right. Um, they wanted to support. Uh, I I remembered getting this email now. I forget what their exact phrasing was. They wanted to support the enterprise of this sort of stuff, but without supporting that shitty podcast. Um, <laughs> I happen to disagree okay. with their assessment of it. Right. Pointless one. If you're listening to this, which I hope you are, we want more. In my super biased opinion, we'll take Enosh's less biased opinion, but still biased probably. Um, it's gotten a lot better. The first several episodes were rough. Brian and I didn't have a rapport. We didn't have uh, the, like, I don't know if you've listened to any of the uh, the podcasts that Matt and Scott do for the Doof Media Network. Um, I recommend them. Try them out. But they have, they've been, they've known each other since, if not high school, college. And they, they, they can go way back. They, they've, they've, they have a, 
an ability to just ping pong i you know hey throwing this out there you catch and do something and throw it back yeah. and it took me and brian a while to get there but we've gotten good at that now like i think we've got a good flow and more importantly i think for the enjoyment of the audience brian's enjoying the book a lot more now cool. and it's not just like now it's been since like chapter 15 or something you know it it took a while yeah. um but the downside is that people who come to it, they're going to listen like, oh, I don't want to listen to someone hate this book for the next year, so I'm going to turn this off. I didn't think so he hated it that much in the beginning. He was he was hard on like, you know, this kid sucks. This is so unrealistic. Kids don't act that way. Hmm. Um, the standard kind of like things that if you're not already in love with the character, you'll point out that suck. Hmm. Um, if that's your take on it. However, his take is, is different now. I think he, he very much appreciates lots of stuff that's going on. So what I'm getting at is try it. Jump into one of the uh, Stanford Prison Experiment ones. We're wrapping up that arc now. I think that they've been going great. So, And if you uh, like it, shoot me a note. And if you don't, shoot me a note. Sounds good. Yeah. So, yeah, we're doing, uh, I guess, an episode on things that we, ways that rationality practices in just in our regular day-to-day lives, the ways they help us. I really wish Jace was here too, but maybe we can get some some from him next time. I think we'll probably do like a section on this next episode too, just because there's no way that Jason doesn't have stuff to contribute. So. Yeah. so I think if anything, they probably do this in a more methodical way than you and I do. And I think you do it more than I do. So I'm, I'm going to do my best to, to play, play with this, but I don't, I don't have a list of things, but I'll see what comes up. Well, so. you said, so one of them was not giving a shit about what people think as much. Yeah. But that's not, that wasn't like, you know, in the sequences or anything, as far as I know. I mean, it totally was. I mean, at, at one point when he uh, did the clown suit metaphor, Oh sure, yeah. but I mean, this is—it struck me. That I'm not—I'm not going against the crowd, and not—I'm not challenging the crowd because I'm not afraid of doing so. Like that's more of the sequence inspiration stuff, right? Yeah. Like I'm just—just just, this is nicely summarized in some tweet somewhere that was like, if someone likes something, like let's not shit on it because like life sucks, the world sucks, and like let's not let's not shit on people's things that they like the one like the things that they find to enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I found a way to just internalize that, and I and. Like, so I don't, I don't give shit, you know, someone is just crazy about uh, football or something I'm like go nuts. That's awesome. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Like I, I couldn't care less about football, but I'm not going to be like, Oh, you like football. That's so blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I don't think anyone ever says that to me if they don't like, you know, stuff that I'm doing. Um, certainly I'll take that, that criticism to heart. If it's something that I can improve on or something, you know, if it's a project I'm working on, like, you know, the reason that Brian and I record the episodes and put them out is so, like people listen to them and like, that makes it a community experience. Like, it's it's kind of like writing a web serial, like Methods of Rationality, where, like, sometimes what you're working on adjusts as the audience feedback loop, uh, you know, informs the author. I do think that's one of the things I disagree with Brian about. I don't think that um, Eliezer was influenced by audience feedback very much. Me either. I was thinking more of uh, Ward. Okay. Uh, Wild, so Wildbo finished uh, his, I'm not sure if it's the longest, it was his most recent one. It was the sequel to Worm. One point something, one point six million words, I think, and uh, like he he after he finishes the story, he writes like a an afterword, like basically kind of like an autopsy of like, hey, here's what happened when I was writing this book, mm-hmm. and he mentioned like there were things that he thought would land better, and so he he pivoted on some things yeah. because he's very involved in the community, and that's, that's I think his, it's just a bad idea. I think it's part of his writing process. Like it's 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 explicitly part of the challenge he sets for himself, and mm-hmm. so I. I'm curious what an unfiltered wild bow work would be like. Um, well, it'd probably be like what Worm was, or at the very least, the first half of Worm, because you're right. You know, it took a while to for it to get noticed. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I I remember uh, somebody wrote this 
scathing review mm-hmm. somebody <laughs> um and i disagreed with like everything that it said uh apparently and, you didn't disagree with the part where he said he changed the story for the whims of the audience well so if he, he quoted he quote mined from wild bills afterward and he he pulled out the wrong parts he also said something about like how there wasn't enough world building or something i'm like but the world was built in the first part of the book mm-hmm. like i hate reading book seven of a of a series and they still introduce things like i haven't heard of it before it's like dude i've been here there was that joke in like one of the pitch meetings for Endgame, mm-hmm. and it's like, wait, are we gonna like show Captain Marvel introducing, you know, introducing to the team and show what she can do? And it's like, well, uh, no, what do you mean? It's like we had the thing in like the, the after credit, the after part of the last movie and Shadowrun movie. Like, what are we gonna introduce here? It's like, what about people who haven't seen the ones before this one? And they look at each other and like, ha, good one. Yeah, this is the world's most expensive TV series. We don't care if someone missed the last episodes. Like, so I, I don't want like a whole rebuilding of everything. And part of I think that part of that was intentional. Like the city they were in wasn't named because it was a recovering apocalypse city and everything felt transient. Like it wasn't permanent because everyone was trying to shove things back the way they used to be. It was never going to, that was, that was part, that part of that was intentional. <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to derail on that, that whole thing. Alrighty. So, um, did you want to hit us up with another one or how exactly are we doing this? I can go ahead with one of mine. Yeah, go nuts. Okay. So I have a thing that you don't see very often because of the nature of it. Uh, I have internalized the virtue of silence, which I believe is actually a Scott Alexander post, not uh, one of the original Elias Zerdkowski posts, but you know, it is still in the sphere of rationality. And um, this is the virtue of when something is really stupid and should not be spread anymore, a lot of people's first reaction is to be like, look how stupid this is. And God, that's a lot of Twitter. That's some YouTube out there is basically people saying like, look at these stupid people, look how stupid they are, or look at this dumb thing, and no, no, don't spread that. <laughs> That's, that is a giant mistake. If, if something is better off not shared with the rest of the world, the only thing you can really do is not share it. Uh, if you say, hey, everyone, don't share this thing, you're drawing attention to it. By pointing a spotlight at it and saying, look how dumb this is, you're just amplifying it. Yeah. And charitably through that framing you're not spreading how you're not spreading this misinformation i guess you're you're, you're spreading knowledge of it mm-hmm. but you're not spreading like this bad idea at face value um you're, you're you're spreading it through a lens of saying isn't this bullshit everyone now laugh and retweet and but don't forget to like and subscribe yeah, yeah. Um, like i will if i see someone else um saying something that's misinformation like that i will correct them but like I wouldn't share some misinformation and correct it like that. The the analogy that I make is um, if you've ever seen young kids that are still learning language, sometimes they will say a curse word on accident. Um, <laughs> this is a great analogy. I already know I already know where it's going. Okay, yeah. And if everyone freaks out and is like, oh, no, no, don't say that. You can't say that. The kid right away is like, has that word seared into their brain and will be unable to resist saying it sometimes because like, it suddenly has strong emotional valence. And it elicits a reaction. So all, all they have to do is just be sitting there at the dinner table at four years old eating their applesauce or whatever and be like, shit. Yeah. And everyone's like, no, 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 no. Right. But like, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> and even if they're taught that it's bad, I mean, they're going to, this is now a thing that they know that they, you know, it's naughty to say, right? Whereas if they accidentally say shit when they mean to say ship and you just, you know, flow with it, like, you know what they said, or maybe like you correct them because if when they mispronounce elephant, you're like, no, it's elephant. And when they mispronounce ship, you're like, no, it's ship. And if you don't make a big deal about it, they don't even notice. Like it just goes by. And uh, it often can be the same thing. Like if a kid hurts themselves, 
like falls down, knocks his head on something. If the parent runs up, it's like, oh my God, are you okay? The kid starts crying like, oh fuck, I fucked myself up. But if you just kind of look and see how they react without your reaction, if they're just like, eh, and then keep go back to playing, it probably wasn't that big a deal and you don't need to make it a big deal. It's, it's the same kind of thing. Don't don't draw attention to things because that suddenly makes them really um, a really big deal when it doesn't need to be and does the opposite of what you want. And uh, this is exactly why I am not on Twitter, because I have looked at Twitter, and as far as I can tell, the only thing it's good for is amplifying things that should be silenced entirely. I think there are correct ways to use Twitter. I don't use it, but, like, I, I know that, like, because I'll see, uh, I'm on subreddits, so I'll post pictures of some tweets, and some of them are really funny. And I think that's the way to do it. You you find, you follow, com- I mean, this is my own advocacy if I were to get back on Twitter, I would follow comedians and a handful of scientists and a handful of people of interest. Mm. And that's it. Mm. I wouldn't follow the news. I wouldn't follow the president to see what shit's coming out today. Um, I wouldn't, I would not use it as a rage machine. The downside is, is like, it's really sometimes nice. Some people just love that rage machine. And uh, there's a lot of comedians and scientists you can't follow because they'll fall into the internet of beefs thing too. Yeah, I think, and it depends. Like some of these are just like, you know, I, I can't think of an example right off, but like, you know, just, a, a, a one-line joke i think um andrew sulk anthony sulk i forget the guy's first name but his, his twitter handle i still remember it is the incredible sulk okay. he writes for family guy what? and he just writes jokes and there there are a lot of jokes that back in the day back in my day of twitter it was 144 <laughs> 140 characters 144 144 144 characters there are a lot of great jokes you can get out in 144 characters cool. and like and there's nothing else to it. It's just you read it and you're like, this is fucking hilarious, and then you get to move on. Yeah. Um, I know at least I think what Matt Freeman does, who uh, has been on the show a few times, check out his episodes. He at some point in the last couple of years just like went through and purged. I'm now I'm hooked on that word because I've listened to the Mind Killers podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks, David. Uh, um, he just went through and whenever something made him angry, he would just purge. He would st- and follow that person. And he's and now now Twitter's a positive experience. Awesome. And like that's I think that's the way. And this isn't you know life advice. This isn't Stephen's life advice corner. But because even I I'll get on the the hate train once every few times a week probably. Wow. Like I not well let me let me I will watch the hate train go by a few times a week. I don't get on. Okay. I, I'm not I I don't participate in any of these. But I okay, okay. I'm on a handful. That's, that's very different. Oh yeah, that's why I clarified. Like I but I mean I'm still on. Uh, r slash keep track r slash enough trump spam um it's keep track of the trump thing it, it's yeah like okay. here's the litany of crimes that have gone on you know like so for example they're reducing the sentence on michael flynn at the direction of the department of justice which usually doesn't get involved in this after flynn confessed uh under oath to have lied to congress and uh it's, it's like it's it's like one of these insane fucking obvious travesties of miscarriages of justice and yet like, I'm aware of it, and I'm annoyed that I know it, but, like, part of me wants to be in the loop. But I think the real reason is it's, like, sometimes watching the hate train go by makes you feel alive, right? I guess. So, uh, some people. Yeah. I've, I've got a problem. Yeah. But, you know, I don't let it bring my day down. And I do that on purpose. The overwhelming majority of subreddits I'm on are things like humans being bros and, yeah. uh, like, r slash aw, which is just cute animals, and uh, cats learning to cat. 
and you know adorable little things that put a smile on my face made me smile is one of them cool. right so like i pepper in the, the nasty shit and if i don't feel like it i'll skim past it and i'll find the next cute picture of a cat you know like some, some days you just don't have the energy for it and i do want to say before we move on that this isn't always a thing just for like social media outrage stuff even though i do also think that this is a great time to apply this to your everyday life but like the original post was about stuff that might actually be bad to spread um, either for culture or even for you personally. And the temptation is just to be like putting it out there and commenting on it. And oftentimes the best thing to do is stay completely silent and let it go away. And you'll never know when someone is doing that if they're doing it correctly. So it is one of those virtues that if it's being practiced, you don't see it. What was that great line? It was in that episode of Futurama where Bender meets God. Mm. Sometimes when you do things right, people won't know if you've done anything at all. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, that was a fun episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, all, all of my, most most of my, I think, applications of rationality to real life are kind of more at like the meta level. Mm-hmm. Most of them are like very general things. So it's a more general thing that can crop up in day-to-day life. I think the most like salient thing that jumps to mind, people get hung up on thinking about how hard something will be mm-hmm. and then they don't try it. Mm. They, they They think about this and they're like, oh, no, I could never do that. And then they just don't. And it, well, sure you sure you can't if you if you don't even look at it. Mm-hmm. Like I I think I've I might have mentioned this on this podcast. It's hard to say. Um, I have a friend I went to high school with who we weren't that close. Um, so I don't know if this is something he always wanted to do. I imagine it was. He was always very funny. But at some point after high school, I think he must have said to himself, "I want to write for S- I want to write for SNL or for some comedy show. Mm-hmm. Like I, I want to be a comedy writer." Mm-hmm. And he has attributions on IMDb for helping write episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Awesome. Um, like, he, I don't know what it took to get there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's hard. Mm-hmm. But I doubt it's as hard as most, well, I mean, it, it's it's got to be hard because there's not a million writers who do this, right? Yeah. But the point is, is, he didn't stop at thinking, I sure would like to do that, but I'll bet it's too hard. Yeah. He he said, I'd like to do this. I wonder what it takes to get there. And then he's like, I think I could do that. Yeah. And that, I think, is more often than the case than people think people give up before even looking at how hard a problem would actually be. They look at it, assume that it would be very hard. Sometimes they're probably right, but it's probably less hard than they, th- than they thought. There can be a lot of instances where, you know, something looks overwhelmingly hard to do and you don't have to like look at the whole project at once. You're like, if I knew someone who had done this thing that I would like to get done, what is the first step they would have taken along the path to finish this thing? And if you can look at that first step and then evaluate, could I do that first step? then maybe you can do the thing, right? That's the advice. I've had somewhere, something like half a dozen people reach out because I mentioned that I got into programming on this podcast. And maybe I'll put together a, like a useful post that I, we can just put somewhere. Yeah. Um, cause, like, because my, my advice isn't very, like, here's the 10 things you need to do. There's a million posts like that. I would I haven't read any of them. I bet most of them are garbage. Okay. Um, like the, the main thing that took for me because i can only speak to my experience and what i can kind of extrapolate from others but like the the main thing that happened to me was i looked at the like i I had considered doing this before and i was like that's got to be too hard there's no way i'm smart enough everyone who's been doing this i've used this analogy a hundred times it's i had this just mental image of people who, who were like programmers for a living they were just like they've been coding their own games since before they could walk mm-hmm. and this just this like this black box of arcane knowledge that i just i I'm 20 years past the boat or past the, is that what it's called? Past the boat? There's a. Sure. Yeah. The boat left 20 years ago. So, yeah. Yeah. Like 
uh, like I'm way too late to try and get on this and I'm just not smart enough. Mm -hmm. And then like, but I mean, that that's where I was for at least a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, granted, luckily I was already like in the, trying to be in the habit of like trying to do stuff at that point. And so I, uh, had a friend, uh, another friend of the podcast, uh, Zeke Ron has been on a couple of times, sent me a book called automate the boring stuff. It's online for free. Um, it's a Python tutorial and I didn't get very far in it before I realized I was like, Oh, like I can read this. Like the, you're not writing machine code. Yeah. It's not like, it's not hard. Oh, well, I mean doing, doing hard, doing the hard stuff is hard, mm. but like just learning how to do it is actually easy. Like you, you can, if you, if you pick up a language, like any modern ish language, you can just look at it and see what it's doing. Yeah. And you don't have to be a programmer to see, to recognize, oh, okay, it's going through this five times and it's going to, you know, add one each time. It's going to print up to five. Like that. It's... Did I ever tell you how I learned the basics of programming? No. Oh my God. So my first computer was the Commodore pet. Uh, and it was one of these things that apparently does have a hard drive. It's on tapes, cassette tapes, literally. Uh, but it doesn't have like an inbuilt hard drive and you couldn't buy any of the programs. But along with the Commodore pet, I got a book called 101 games for your Commodore pet, which was the thing is, you literally write the programs you want it to run. And so this was just, uh, I don't know, like 300 pages of code printed on the words, uh, printed on the page. And it was like, type in these things exactly as you see them on the page. After you're done, hit run and the game will play. And so I, you know, the first several, I just kind of typed in things, didn't know what the hell was going on. Like one zero space, G-O-T-O space, two zero, right? Uh, but I started noticing after a while a trend like, Oh, this this X, this is a variable. They're storing data there and this iterates it and like I, I couldn't get all of it just by putting things in by hand and making the connections myself, but after a while I got the basics and then I picked up a programming book to like teach me the actual syntax and the the things that I needed to know. It was amazing just like typing in code by hand and looking at it with my bare eyes just for a while I put things together. That is one actionable piece of advice I could give is to actually write code rather than just watch people do it on YouTube. Mm. When you're watching it, it feels like you're learning it, but you're not. Okay. Um, pause videos, write it out, and tweak with it. Mm. Like, if they're going to do something and, you know, they're going to put in parameter 400, put in 410, see what happens. Um, I mean, the really amazing thing is, like, to me, it was almost like writing in a language I don't understand. I was literally just transcribing characters on a page to the screen. But after a while, I started noticing trends. You were the Chinese room. I was, yes. <laughs> yeah. And then before you knew it, you knew a little Chinese. And the thing is, like, they still used English words. So GOTO was go to. And I noticed that, like, the number afterwards corresponded to all the numbers in front of the lines that I was uh, typing. So, like, I could put things together. Programming has gotten a lot easier and a lot more fun since then. Yeah. Um, you no longer have to type out your games before you can play them. That's right. <laughs> And what's cool about that is I'm not sure, I doubt that your Commodore pet could play very complicated games, but like once you figured out what you were doing, you're like, oh, I can give myself more hit points. Oh, I, yeah. I set that about, I set that on line 16. Like, all right, cool. Uh, I'm going to put a hundred thousand there. Oh wait, no shit. 256 bits. I'm going to put 250 there, <laughs> <laughs> but, or excuse me, eight bits, but yeah. yeah. Um, the, the meta lesson of like, if you, if there's something you want to do and it seems impossible, at least do yourself the favor of spending an hour on the internet looking what it takes to get that thing done. I don't know what it takes to 
I mean, so I did this, you know, with a career that didn't pan out because I didn't like it. I wanted to know what it was like to be a private investigator. That'd be a lot of fun. That'd be like Sherlock. I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. Turns out it's not. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, for a while, I'm like, oh, I could never do that. But then I, it was just a matter of, um, and you don't have to, you know, quit your job and go all in to try something out, right? Mm-hmm. That's the cool thing about programming too, is like, do this for an hour, do this for a couple hours a week and see if you fucking hate it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe you do and it's not, it's not your thing. Um, like with the, uh, it, it's just... It's about seeing how hard it is to actually get started. And I think you will find yourself surprised more often than not at how easy something, not easy necessarily, but how a lot, how much less daunting it is when you see, here's the path to get there. And you're like, oh, it's not a million steps. It's 30. Mm-hmm. And I've got 10 of those under my belt already. I don't even know that. And of course, if you want to write for Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you probably won't be able to, right? Um just because I doubt I doubt the show will go on long enough for you to break into the industry okay. and start writing for that particular show. But if you want to write for a comedy show, or if you want to be a you know be a chef with your own restaurant, if you want to, I, I don't know, insert a thing, name, name something. We'll see if we can like um, you. Oh, me yeah, personally. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Uh, if I want to be an actor in a Hollywood movie, that sounds impossible, mm-hmm. right? That's actually great. I, I wish I thought of that one. Like, I I think of that and I'm like, oh yeah, no, never. Um, I don't look like Chris Hemsworth, but, and yet you look at, you watch movies, not everyone's Chris Hemsworth, right? right? Well, you um, can pull off Tom Holland. Great. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. An old, a slightly older Tom Holland, maybe. <laughs> I he, don't know, man. You look really young. He looks 22. I look 25. Okay. Do I look okay. 25 yet? Slightly older. Come on. <laughs> My voice is deeper. How old is he really? I think he was in his early 20s when he did Spider-Man Homecoming. Okay. Cause I was going to say in Spider-Man Homecoming, he actually looked kind of like a teenager. I thought he was the first Which Spider-Man was this, this century to look like a, look like a child yeah. and it fit perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Um, like don't get me wrong. I liked the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I even liked the Andrew Garfield ones. I, I never saw those. They, they were fine. Okay. Um, that's the best I can say for them. There, there were parts that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, they they weren't good, but they they were they they were more like the MCU movies than the Spider Man the to, the Tobey Maguire ones. Mm-hmm. But Tobey Maguire ones were like written before those movies came out, and they were much more like let's make a comic book a movie, not let's write an amazing story with comic book characters. Right. But that said, they were still great. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. So like, I think about this and like, do I want to be an actor? And then like, I think the my my immediate impression when you said it was like I could never do that, mm-hmm. and yet. Like I didn't even think about it. That was my knee-jerk reaction after just just going on about this lesson. Right. And so you 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 push back against that that reaction and say, okay, well hold on, what does it actually take? Should I you know do I go to improv classes and get you know my anxiety of of acting out of the way? Um, do I go do I move straight to Hollywood and live in a van and start auditioning? Like I have no idea. But the problem the point is that there's steps to do, mm-hmm. and you can look what look up what they are. Mm-hmm. I bet you start as extras in shows and uh, you know start getting some lines. There's a commercials, an, commercials maybe yeah. Um, there's an SNL actress. I, I don't know if you call him actress, performer, uh, cast mm-hmm. member. Okay. Um, I forget her name. She might be new this year or last year, but I've seen her in the background of older episodes for years. Now she's getting talking bits and some segments. Like cool. it's just a matter of being present. And granted, she had to be on the show first, mm-hmm. but maybe that's another thing you have to accept. Like, hey, you're going to be in this industry for five years before you ever say anything in front of the camera. Yeah. Who knows? I'm not. I, I'm. I'm making all these numbers up, but like. The point is, any one of you guys can go out and be an actor if you want to, right? Just, it. this sounds like I'm giving, you know, thanks for coming to my TED Talk, <laughs> and this will be $50 for that that life speech, but I, the, I'm i serious. I think people stop at, like, I could never do that. I've heard people, I hear this all the time, mm-hmm. and it's like, why couldn't you? And sometimes there's a good reason. Right. More often than not, there's not. 
And because more often than not, the reason is I think it's too hard. Mm. And it's like, why do you think that? It just sounds hard. Mm. It's like, that's, that's not a good reason. I mean, technically it is hard. Oh yeah. So it, it sounds exactly as hard as it is. And if you're not willing to do stuff that's hard, maybe this isn't for you. Yes. There'll be work involved, but yeah. I think it's less hard than it sounds like. Okay. Like, I don't think I could be an astronaut. Right. But why do I think that? Like, maybe if I dedicate the rest of my life to it, I could be. This you, would be the kind of thing I would have to dedicate the rest of my life to. I can't right. half-ass my way to space. Do they but... still require them to be in the military? I don't think so. Okay. Um, no, because one of the Backstreet Boys... Uh, he wasn't really an astronaut. He, he went all... into space, which is different. What's the difference? Well, because... And I don't, I don't know if he actually made it to space. I know oh, he, he went... made it to low... I know, I know that he went through astronaut training and everything. Okay. I think that he was going to go to space. I'll have to double check this. I only know this because he was on a TV show I was just watching. I forget what it was called, but he was hosting like a space camp. And Rachel explained to me why it was perfect that this guy was hosting it because he's an, he was training to be an astronaut. Okay. I think his sponsorship got pulled before he went to space or something. Like an astronaut actually has responsibilities. They have to make um, the shuttle work and do things once they're up in space and like, you know be an actual person that other people's lives are on are rely on i didn't know that we were at the point where it was cheap enough to send people to space who were basically useless yeah there's space tourism already yeah what yeah i mean what it century takes is millions this? of dollars but <laughs> yeah i didn't know about this i thought that right now everyone who went to space had a critical function no not everyone oh my god that is remarkable all right, new life goal. Save up and go to space. Oh, yeah. Actually, you know what? Fuck that. I'm going to wait till it's really easy to get to space. Um, <laughs> so you don't have to pay however much it is? Well, yeah, I'm not going to save the rest of my life to piss it all away when I'm 75 years old to, you know, spend 10 minutes in space. Also, I have a big fan of adopting like a let's wait till this all the bugs are worked out kind of thing. Yeah. Granted, if a passenger plane to space blew up, I think they'd stop doing space tourism. So I bet that hasn't happened yet. I'm sure I would have heard about it. Yeah. Uh, but like I, I, I've, I've joked before, maybe not on the show, that like I'm not going to be on the first ship to Mars. I have a friend who wants to be, and I'm like, yeah, I'll be on the second ship, maybe the third. Do I know this friend? Yeah, he was on my groomsman, the same guy who okay, okay. Uh, I mentioned the the car. Sec- it doesn't matter. Okay, okay. My friend, right, my friend Brandon. I know. Yeah, oh, yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, and maybe I'm not Damn, sure if he still feels that balls way. If he wants to be one of the first people to Mars. Yeah, good for him. I hope. I mean, if we get a, I think that he said if they're taking volunteers, he would sign up. And I'm like, I'll sign up for Voyage Two. I'll let you guys be the pioneers because <laughs> I'll let you guys work all the bugs out. I'm also not going to buy the first, you know, new version of technology, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. When, when, even when the sticks are way lower, I don't want to waste my, I'm not going to waste my money. I'm not going to risk my life on the cool new thing. I will say, just looked it up. Space Adventures is the only company that has actually sent paying passengers to space. So it's still pretty damn rare. The first three participants paid in excess of $20 million each for their 10-day visit to the International Space Station. That sounds like a really good deal. If you have $20 million to spare. Yeah. I, I, I was going to roll my eyes and I thought it was going to be a quick trip to low Earth orbit before they circled back down and they got like a minute of weightlessness. 10 days in the ISS? Yeah. Virgin Galactic says it can do the thing where it takes you, like you said, the low Earth orbit for a little while for $250,000. But again, who cares? Whereas 10 days in the ISS, that's like legit shit. That almost brought tears to my eyes. That is remarkable. Yeah. I didn't know we were there yet. Good for us, humans. Yeah. All right. God, that's awesome. Cool. Well... That's exciting. Hell yeah. So here, here here's now a great example. we have example. a goal. We need $20 million. Well, but like, that's the thing is like, how do I go to spend? And granted, get $20 million is now the harder <laughs> step in this process. Yeah. But I mean, it might be easier to become an actual astronaut. <laughs> right. <laughs> but that's really cool. So sometimes things are a lot easier than I thought. And I didn't know all you had to do to get space was write a big check. Yeah. That is cool. All right. So um, I also have a more meta thing as opposed to like a single individual technique. 
but I do this on a, not a daily basis, but it's a common thing in my life. Um, to set the stage. The fundamental question of uh, rationality is what do I know and how do I know it? And that makes you a bit more secure in your beliefs at first, at least the ones that you thoroughly investigate and that um, and that pass your test and aren't jettisoned with the other ones that turn out to be bullshit or not well supported. Uh, but the longer you go on in the rationality scene, the more often you find places where you weren't quite right and you have to adjust your beliefs or some places where you were like just flat out completely wrong. And that, I mean, that's good because you're always updating your beliefs. You're getting a more accurate model and you're learning how to interpret the world more correctly. But uh, the more you see this happening, or at least in my case, the more I have come to accept that I could be very wrong on things that I am very sure about. So I am much more live and let live and let people do what they want uh, as long as it isn't directly hurting someone else. So to give the most recent example, in our last episode when Jace was like, yeah, I'm going to do the polyphasic sleep thing now, I was like, well, that sounds like a terrible idea because everything I've ever read about it has been about uh, how it was absolutely the coolest idea ever and then someone tried to do it and then it ruined their life for the entire time they were on it plus another month or two of recovery afterwards, right? Um, so when Jace mentioned on the podcast, I quickly threw out the disclaimer like, hey, I this, everything I've heard about it is that it's a bad idea and it ruins lives, but go ahead, you know, maybe you found the right way to do it. Ruins and, months, not lives, but yeah. Well, yeah. Lu- ruins, ruins your life for a series of yeah. months, yeah. Uh, but maybe you have found the way to do it right this time, because that's what we're all shooting for, right? How to make the world better, and you have to try something new to do that. If every time someone came up with a new idea, you'd be like, no, that's that's not going to work. We've done this before. Then nothing new would ever get tried. So I'm like, yeah, you know, give it a shot. Uh, just as long as you're not hurting really other people. When uh, on the Mind Killers, when someone said, God, what do you think about, I think it was Wes that asked, what do you think about Georgia basically just completely opening up? And I was like, well, might suck, but let them try it. Either a lot of people are going to die and they're going to regret it, or uh, that's not going to happen and we will get some more data. Either way, we'll learn more and they're the ones that want to take this risk. So let people take risks if they want to take risks. Yeah, that's more complicated because complicated, that is hurting other people. Like, I mean, so if the restaurant you work for is now open mm-hmm. and they say you can come back to work and mm-hmm. you're like, I don't want to die. No, thank you. Yeah. Well, then you lose your unemployment. So it's like come back to work. And I remember seeing like, I think it was a restaurant in Texas forbidding their employees to wear masks. Forbidding them to wear masks? Don't wear masks or don't come in. <laughs> and because it scares customers or something apparently. Now, mm-hmm. I, I, I think only the dumb customers yeah. would be you know turned off by that and the smart ones would be, thank you for not breathing on my food. Maybe they um, have a very dumb demographic that they serve though. And that, that, that must be what's going on there. So, you know, the, the market will speak to the, the, the wisdom of that move, you know, in a couple months with, with how, how that works out for them. But like, uh, the, the Georgia thing is more complicated. But, you know, as far as personal experimentation, mm-hmm. um, go nuts. It's, like It's the same thing with um, Magician David that we had on the show. And like, you know, his, what I consider crazy magic stuff. I'm like, it sounds like nuts to me, man, but you're doing your life how you want to do it. And maybe you'll find some crazy new brain hack that the rest of us can all implement. So go for it. Yeah. And, you know, I'd, I'd be more inclined to talk him out of it if like, he, he's like, oh yeah. And I've got this, this guru and only, he only charges me 10 grand a year. Like <laughs> if that was the case, I'd be like, dude, I think you're being, sh- I think you're being huxted, yeah. huckstered, shysted. I don't know whatever you call what, it. Both yeah. probably. Hustled. That's yeah. what I was looking yeah. for. Um, but and in, in, I would say the same thing, but like if he kept going for it, I'd be like, well, it's your money. Oh, I know. But I, I would have made an effort to talk him out of it, yeah. at least to do some more homework or something. Right. Yeah. And like that said, 
this isn't like an endorsement to try every stupid thing. No. But it is Please do not. it is an understanding that like um some things that are are folk wisdoms uh are taken by folk wisdom to be stupid mm-hmm. are in fact not. And it's like we need to do an episode on Eliezer's book uh, Inadequate Equilibria at some point because mm-hmm. he opens up with that anecdote, I guess you can call it, that data point that his then wife had uh, has whatever seasonal affective disorder really bad mm-hmm. and to the point where they were like trying to find a second place to live during these winter months because yeah. apparently the Bay Area wasn't even sunny enough in the winter mm-hmm. um, and he's he, I, I loved his thinking because he's just like okay look, it's because there's less daylight there's a it's 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 a matter of light, right? Fuck this. And he think he spent five hundred bucks on light on light strings mm-hmm. and just put them all up around the apartment mm-hmm. and it alleviated some of her symptoms. Yeah. And so it's like, well, if it was that obvious, why wouldn't have anyone tried that? And then he goes on, that's that that's more the thrust of the book. That's why I opened to that analogy. Mm-hmm. But like if someone suggested that to you and you're like, Oh, I'm sure that would be a thing if that was already gonna work, you're like, Well, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Maybe try your own thing. Especially I'm also I'm I'm way more uh enthusiastic about endorsing that sentiment as a whole when the cost of entry is low like i wouldn't say oh yeah you know it only costs you know uh the price of a small condo um i especially depending on what it is right because anyone with a sick um relative or something or if you've got there was a great episode in fact we talked about it with brian dunning on his first interview on the show or his first uh, time he was on the show wasn't much of an interview um i don't know like some costs are much bigger than others like um I guess what I always go back to is people have a right to be wrong. I, I very strongly believe that anyone has the right to be wrong because you can't, it's not that easy to tell when someone is wrong. But, um, and also people have the right to use up their own bodies how they see fit. And I mean, there's some complications in there, like if you have children or dependents uh, on that are dependent on you. But for the most part, like, I figured this was going to affect Jace's health, both mental and physical health in a bad way. But, you know, I said that and Jace wanted to continue. And I was like, all right, you know, it's your body. It's your health. You can do what you want with it. It's interesting. I kind of want to push back on both of those. Okay. Um, only in some circumstances, like you have the right to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on that at least before I start hitting at something that isn't there? <laughs> Cause like I, if someone's wrong, I want to correct them and have them be right. Well, yes. Uh, but I, I don't want to, um, correct them f- through force i would like to Me correct either. them through well, <laughs> there's i mean yes i agree with that you also feel that way but there's a lot of people out there who uh don't and will say that uh i don't care what you think about this you have to be- behave in the way that i think is correct uh okay yeah i see what you're saying like and i and i also i guess i'll defend somebody's right to say something stupid mm-hmm. um they have the right to to go to Nazi rallies without masks uh, tomorrow. Right? Yeah, if, if yeah. that's what you pl- got planned for your Sunday afternoon, thank you. Um, they, they go nuts, yeah. but uh, they don't have the right to hurt people of um, different. Well, they don't have the right to hurt anyone. Period. But they have the right to think that other races are inferior, even though I wish they wouldn't, and I hope that we can persuade them otherwise. This is not a thing where uh, there should be force, legal force used to correct their opinions. Okay, so when you say they have the right to be wrong. You mean that we shouldn't force them into doing the right thing. Yes. And also for like the, the high minded reason that, and that's probably what you're getting at is that like, we might be wrong. Exactly. It's not like we're wrong about racism, but we could be wrong. Like imagine if they outlawed, um, polyamory or imagine if they right? outlawed LSD. 
Right. <laughs> um, speaking of high-minded. Uh, <laughs> like, so, I mean, it, they, they could outlaw something that, like, actually would help people. Mm. I, you know, uh, examples abound. Um, the other the other one about... And like, even, even, like, if LSD actually is long-term uh, bad for your mental or physical health, uh, I mean, we have we have alcohol and nicotine as legal drugs. And I think people who indulge in nicotine, uh, well, or alcohol for that matter, are wrong to do so, even though I am a person who does drink. I know that that's a bad idea, but I have the right to be wrong about that because I'm not hurting other people, like as long as I don't get behind a wheel or something. Yeah. And like the the other part about like the, the right to wreck your own body, like I... So the example I was thinking of is from, I forget the num- episode number, but the Skeptoid episode, uh, I think you can only listen to it now if you pay, I think, to support the show, because he had to switch to a, a semi-paid model. The last 50 are available for everybody all the time, but the transcript for the episode on Skeptoid.com is Despicable Vulture Scumbags. Mm-hmm. It's in the first 50, I think, episodes, and it was just a response to somebody writing in, talking about how... And we talked about this with our episode on Brian, which is free if you want to go listen to it. <laughs> um, somebody wrote in saying like, hey, my dad or somebody has ALS. Hmm. And he is dumping in tens of thousands of dollars into what I know to be a sham treatment. Yeah. And it's something like, you know, electrodes and water that he puts his feet in or some bullshit that'll never cure his ALS. Yeah. And he's like, it's, you know, it's his money and he can do what he wants with it. I'm not so much worried about him squandering an inheritance or anything. And I'm playing this from memory. It was more a concern of like, he could be putting this towards something that might actually help. Mm-hmm. And instead he's giving all his money to this snake oil salesman. So mm-hmm. what the hell do I do? Mm-hmm. And in that one, I like, I would push back hard. I luckily don't have any family with severe health issues that they're treating with magic. But if I did, I would like to think I'd be very adamant. And I don't know what, you know, at what point my adamantness would have to just stop and be resigned. You know, mm-hmm. at some point you have to give up. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm not going to just like look at it and be like, oh, well, good luck to you. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think that that is actually one of those really good examples of the right to be wrong because he is wrong about that. It is a terrible waste of money and it is supporting con artists, but don't, 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 which is awful. But I think he has a right to be wrong about that and spend his money how he sees fit because I would also like the right to buy modafinil if I think that it will help me for something. I want to be able to make what other people think are mistakes if I think they're not mistakes. Whether it be modafinil or LSD or some new experimental treatment that everyone else is like, this is bullshit, don't do this. And I would be like, I don't know about that. I think maybe I do want to try the uh, baby food that has fish oil in it or whatever it is that is not approved. Yeah, I think the difference, like, if if I had really good reason to believe that what you were doing was killing you mm-hmm. and you just didn't know them, mm-hmm. or maybe you'd hurt then them, you could try to disregard them. Me. That's, that's what I'm saying. Your right to be wrong. Doesn't mean that I shouldn't try and make you less wrong. No, 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 right? no. You'd absolutely. I, if depending on how much you care for me, I would expect you to, uh, but also it shouldn't be illegal to do those things. Okay. So you're talking more about like force of making, yeah. making people. Okay. Gotcha. Like it's different than, I don't know, watching your, your parents waste all of their money on some bullshit pyramid scheme. Right. You know, like you might go, I mean, I, I don't know what I would do if my parents were like, hey, we've got this great investment opportunity with whatever, some whatever fruit juice pyramid scheme, whatever it is. I'd be like, no, no, fuck you guys. Stop, mm-hmm. stop. Keep your day jobs. Like I, but I, I can see. But um, how, what if someone was pushing that hard against you investing a thousand dollars into Bitcoin back when it was 10 bucks a coin? Um, like so, th- but now I'm seeing the distinction you're talking about. It's one thing to say like, uh, 
yes, you should do your best to inform the people that you care about and everyone else on the inf- the best information available. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another thing entirely to make buying it Bitcoin illegal. Right, right. So I, I so see. Ultimately, I, you have the right to be wrong about Bitcoin's future. The legal right. Yes. Okay. Now, now I get what you're saying as and far as at some point your family will be like, okay, fine, I'm sorry. Uh, there's nothing I can do. When when you say I have the right to waste my money on maybe not even Bitcoin, maybe it's you know like. But Dogecoin. <laughs> but if in 2006 I had spent a thousand dollars on Bitcoin, then who would be laughing? You know, three years ago when I sold. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but if you put a thousand dollars into Bitcoin when it was at twelve thousand dollars, then yes, then I would want. Then that's the thing is I'd want my my savvy minded friends to be like, no, no, Stephen, it's peaking, bubbles popping. Mm-hmm. This this don't buy now. You're mm-hmm. fucked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but would I want a, a legal moratorium against making a bad? investment no yeah yeah okay so the legal right to be to be wrong and the and so that's where my my you know belief in the right to be wrong really extends into the whole allowing you know being semi-supportive and allowing other people to do these experimental things it's just whereas before i would be kind of freaking out being like oh god don't do that don't do that now i'm like well you know the risks and i wish you well i hope it goes for the best even if i am worried that it won't I got dragged into a sales mit or a pitch meeting for a, um, I forget what they were even selling. It was some, it was some pyramid scheme. And the first red flag was that someone on Facebook reached out to me who I hadn't seen since high school. And I would have been in my early mid twenties and they were like, Hey Steven, uh, some friends and I are working on this really interesting thing. I think you should come check this out. We've got a thing like on Saturday at eight. And I'm like, this sounds like I'm going to be sacrificing a ritual, but fuck it. I got, I got nothing going on Saturday. I'll come take a look. And it, they were really dodgy about answering questions beforehand because they've been coached not to answer questions beforehand. Cause I Google the company, you see the word pyramid scheme on, mm-hmm. on the finished Google search. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm, I mean, I'm filling in the gaps here, but I'm assuming that's why they're so dodgy about it. I get there. I watch it. I read the pamphlet they give me on the back of the pamphlet. It says that one in 200 people make their money back. Oh my god! Because it was like two thousand dollars to get in. Oh my god! And it was in the really small print, yeah. but it was in the it was in the documentation they give you. Mm-hmm. And I showed her that, and I was like, "There's like forty people here. The odds of any of you guys getting your money back is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to be like the guy in the video we had to watch who has a jet ski or a boat or whatever it was, right? Yeah. Like you guys are not getting there. And in fact, I'll bet you a thousand dollars that you're not going to get there. I would love that bet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, and if in a year you own a jet ski that you're not making payments on for money you made doing this, I give you a thousand dollars. I really should have done that, but I didn't have a thousand dollars to gamble back then. Um, so, what am I getting at here? Nothing. This ties into. I mean, no. Well, that's what I did. I, when I left, I said, I don't think this will work. This sounds like a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm not buying it under you. I'm sorry, but also I encourage you to get out. Yeah. Like, you know, I. Do your own thing. I hope it works out. But here, look, they don't think it'll work. Mm-hmm. Or they're being forthcoming with how unlikely it is to work for you. Yeah. You know, the, the person that they brought in who got you into it, who's now trying to get us all into it, is the top of this pipeline, the top of this pyramid for you guys. Um, they're probably not making money on this yet. And there's like 40 people here. You guys are, are not getting this together. Speaking of trying to bet your friend $1,000, is that on your list at all? Uh, betting on stuff the willingness to uh bet on beliefs yeah um no but it should be i also don't make as many formal bets as is popularized in the community mm-hmm. i think i've made one and i'll have to pay out i think we'll have the numbers in eight i don't know i made it with david spearman about i think more youths will vote this election than voted in the last election okay 
I forget what number I said it was, but and I think I and I think I bet like ten or twenty bucks, like whatever. Yeah. But I mean, this isn't one of the ones I was going to burn one of my things talking about. But yeah, that's that's one I think we can put out there together, which is. Um, I actually bet very, very rarely. Uh, it's just not a thing I do very often, both because, I don't know, for a number of reasons, but the mindset of like, because a lot of people just have a hard rule against gambling. Don't do it, it's bad. And that's actually a good hard rule to have. One shouldn't gamble. But I don't think wagering on beliefs is really gambling. I think it's more of a way to calibrate how sure you are about the world and um, making it actually matter. And I think have just the mindset of thinking am i willing to bet on this and if i was how you know how much am i willing to bet how sure am i on this sort of thing what odds would i accept is very valuable to have even if you don't actually make the bets and those can be really valuable even if yeah exactly even if you never put a dollar down um you know i i could imagine uh well i'll leave a political example out because i was going to just invent it but i've got a great example from i can't i can never find a link to it because i saw this 10 or 15 years ago but it was like pendulette talking with somebody like during one of his shows or talking about talking to somebody during one of his shows. And it was like a card trick. And he's like, how much do you want to bet that your cards on the top of the deck? Hmm. And the guy was, or no, excuse me. The guy was, it was like, Hey, how much do you think your cards in the deck? And he's like, absolutely. And he's like, how much do you want to bet that it is? Hmm. And the guy's like, now I'm less sure. And Hmm. and it was either that or like, I'll bet you a hundred bucks. It's not or something. And it was like, okay, yeah, never mind. Um, like, I thought that I was confident, but the second I was asked to actually put any skin in the game, I'm out, right? Yeah. And then when you when you can go into it that mindset, you realize that you're not that confident at all, and it helps keep you calibrated, yeah. um, even if you're not losing money. So, you know, as far as the the one wager I have on the the discords, like all witness or bets bear all witness or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it's small potatoes. If I lose ten bucks, I lose ten bucks. I'm you know, I, I'm not going to bet uh, a large sum. Um, certainly because I wasn't really as confident as I was with my friend at the, you know, pyramid scheme thing. That'd mm-hmm. have been awesome if I made a thousand. The, the downside though, of course, is that then she would have lost a lot of money she, and she, now she owes you a thousand. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I'm knocking on her door every, you know, give me my thousand bucks. I'll send my goons. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wonder what the market rate is for good goons. Um, that's, a, that's an aside question. We were talking about the Harley Quinn show, which is worth watching. Uh, um, very fun show. <laughs> there's a, uh, it was on one of I, my favorites currently. I, I came across this great gem and it was like the most inspiring 10 minutes of podcast I'd heard in a while. Um, and I sent it to you. I sent you guys a m- message about it. It's episode 200 of Sam Harris's podcast, which has gotten surprisingly better since uh, the lockdown. Hmm. And cause now he's just doing like pretty much laid back conversations with guests. And it's a lot less of like the dumb shit he was doing six months ago. Um, Anyway, episode 200, Creatures of Habit. It's a conversation with James Clear. And it's at some point in the last 35 minutes of the podcast, maybe. I mean, the whole thing's worth listening to because it's just about like what are habits with people? How do they work? Where do they come from? That sort of cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want the bit that was really inspiring, I found a, a one online or a link that I'll put on the podcast uh, on the, in the notes. And the... The, the short summary of it, and I'll find as much as I can from this to read from, because it's, it's really, really cool. Basically, in uh, 2003, the British cycling team, uh, they hadn't won in, I want to say, decades um, in any like national or, re- I don't know, at some point, Olympics, whatever. Point is, the team sucked, and they were like, we want to do better at this. The one fact that really factoid, that really stuck out from to me from the link you sent me, was that there was a... Uh... 
bicycle equipment manufacturer who would not sell to them because they were worried if anyone saw the British team using their products that it would uh, lower, you know, the brand in the eyes of the public. That's awesome. And that wasn't in the podcast description or in the, the summary that he gave in the podcast. Um, yeah, so they were notoriously bad to the point where some people didn't want to sell to them. Yeah. So you got to suck pretty hard. And so the, the question is like, all right, well, how do we do better? What are the, what are the greats doing that we're not? Mm-hmm. And like, obviously they're looking at like what the greats are doing. And they're like, well, we feel like we're doing all those things. And so this is the generalizable lesson is that they tried to find, well, rather they brought in, uh, let me see if I can find the, it doesn't matter. So they brought in a, uh, a new performance director. There it is. Uh, Dave Brailsford. Um, and this guy was like, look, it's not about shooting to the top. It's about finding marginal improvements wherever we can. Mm-hmm. And when I say wherever we can, I mean, places you guys aren't even thinking to look. Um, let's bring a variety of pillows on tour and you guys, uh, you sleep with, you know, one pillow a night and decide, and you guys, whichever one you find works the best, we're going to use that brand of pillow for you. You're going to get the best sleep you can before this. We're going to try, um, uh, I, I, let me find some of the examples of things that they did. Cause like a lot of them are outside the box. Like they painted the inside of the trucks that they transport the bikes in white so they could spot dirt and grime that you would otherwise miss in a gray truck. Um, because when you're talking about a high-performance bicycle, even little bits of dirt and grime in the gears make a difference. Yeah, like... Yeah, he was talking about literally, like, just anywhere, any little place we can eke out a 1% improvement uh, in that when that one sub-area is worth doing. And and that's the thrust of the... Uh, I think that's the title of the essay. Like, what is it? Um, This coach improved every th- tiny thing by 1%, and here's what happened. God, okay. that's clickbaity. Yes. But... Um, the, the 1% improvements, uh, motif is common through, throughout the, uh, James Clear's work. Um, so like, yeah, keeping the bikes clean, um, trying different bike seats, that stuff, that's, that's, that's easy, you know, low hanging fruit. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, let's find the, the, the small, hard to find fruit. And it's things like, uh, they hired a surgeon to teach the riders the best way to wash their hands to reduce their chances of catching a cold mm-hmm. before, uh, competitions. Cool. Like, that that's outside the box thinking right um they determined the type of pillow and mattress that led to the best night's sleep for each rider they uh i mentioned they painted the thing um there were a handful of other examples but like the point is is that uh in just five years after brailsford took over the british cycling team dominated the road and track cycling events at the 2008 olympic games in beijing where they won an astounding 60 percent of gold medals um four years later the Olympic Games came to London, and the Brits raised the bar as they set nine Olympic records and seven world records. Nice. Like, and this again, this wasn't done through um, finding the the best super mutant that they could throw on a bike and have him just be you know the top dog. It's like mm-hmm. no, no, we can find all these little marginal improvements. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is, finding those requ- in in if you're not a cyclist and you don't have all these ideas to look for now, mm-hmm. finding these in your day to day life is, is the challenge, but it's something that you can totally do. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the thing is that like, I think a lot of people, if you're anything like me, which probably most people have their stuff together, stuff together better than I do. Um, obvious things like, uh, eat better, eat a little bit better. It doesn't have to be like jump straight to a insert complicated diet. Yeah. Um, I don't eat like complete dog shit, but I, I, I you know, I could do better. Just um, a little bit of exercise now and then. Yeah. And it's amazing how sedentary modern day humans are. Yeah. Like I, if I didn't put an effort into it, I think I could go literal years between needing to uh, stress some of my muscles to their maximum potential. I remember the last time I've done, I mean, maximum potential. I, 
Does that just mean it's doing as many reps as you can before your arms fatigue? Or No, I mean, that just means like having to flex it as hard as I can possibly flex it for one thing of anything. I see. Like how much effort does it take to get out of a chair or to uh, walk across the room or click a mouse? Like literally, I am never using that muscle to the strongest point that that muscle can be used for years at a time. And Unless you make yourself do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, so I work out every day because I, re- I recognize that it makes me feel better. Mm. Um, let's see, two or three weeks ago, might be three or four. Again, time squishy in, in these weird times. Um, I started doing yoga every day. Cool. And some of them are, like, I, I'm not, I don't have the best, uh, I, I've complained about my body before. My body doesn't like some of them, so I don't do those ones. I'm not going to fuck myself up. Mm-hmm. But the rest I do, and it's like, it's amazing how... Like you can hit a small muscle group yeah. that you didn't even know you had, and you're like, "Oh man, that feels cool." Um, like little, I don't know. So I'm, I'm, and it's something I don't mind spending half an hour a day doing because we're not doing anything else anyway. So, um, you know, and I don't know. Like, I, I might have brought this up years ago on the podcast. I, and this is like the most superficial example, but this, I remember raising this concern, and this is kind of the answer. So, like, the concern was, I remembered when I got an Xbox 360. My previous system before that, the regular Xbox, had the uh, red, yellow, and white cables for video and audio. Mm-hmm. And my Xbox 360, it came with red, yellow, and white, and then like the green and blue ones. And I was like, oh, that's where the HD comes from, is those extra two cables, because I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And then I'm playing like uh, Skyrim and uh, Call of Duty with my coworkers. And at some point, one of my coworkers visits, and he's like, why don't you have an HDMI cable? And I'm like, I thought that's what these were. And he's like, no. And, and for 20 bucks... I radically increased my ability to enjoy what I was playing on these things. Nice. And so this kind of, I remember at the time and even like years later looking back, I'm like, what else am I $20 away from like a big life improvement? Granted, playing video games, that's a, you know, very fringe thing, but it was something I was enjoying doing. And like being able to see your opponents in Call of Duty when they're not, you know, uh, Lego pixels in the distance, that mm-hmm. helps you win. And if you're, if you're having fun winning and you can do that better for 20 bucks and like, also just improve the quality of whatever you're consuming yeah. again i realize that's a super low stakes example eh. but but it, but it's illustrative of the fact that like i might be 10 bucks away from a big improvement in all kinds of areas of my life who knows mm-hmm. so like it kind of put me in this little bit of like latent background nervousness of like what else am i not optimizing on that i could do really really easily yeah. and it 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 made me uh kind of keep a lookout for those things. The problem is if you don't know that there's something that can be improved on, you don't know what to look for. Right. It's like you don't know what areas to look into. Like you wouldn't have known about the HMI thing if your coworker didn't say something. Right. So sometimes it's just like, I one one technique that I have tried to generalize is anytime I'm annoyed by something, like I'm like, God, I wish this this worked better or whatever it is. I, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, uh, again, well, this is, again, the dumbest, lowest stakes example, but it's the first one that came to mind. There are better examples of this, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Apple TV remote is a swipe touchscreen thing because fuck Apple. It can't be <laughs> buttons. And we would constantly overshoot what we're trying to hit, especially when you're trying to type in something in the search bar. Luckily, it knows how much it sucks, and there's a voice to, there's a voice search button. But sometimes you're scrolling down to a video, and you go three past it because the swipe is too big. And I'm like, this is so fucking annoying. Mm-hmm. And so, like... I, I had a little flag that goes up whenever I think this is so annoying. And I was like, okay, what am I annoyed at? The swipe sucks. And I'm like, well, hold on. I just jump in the settings, jump the swipe power down to like medium, mm-hmm. and it jumps less far. Nice. Like, So that didn't cost me any money. It took me five seconds. So if, if you're looking for an actionable piece of advice, I realize this is so – like all my examples are really low ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how 
that's how you build up quality of life improvements. Lots of little things. Yeah. And I mean, even like this, this can apply to like boring examples of things at work. Um, but like, oh, I mean, at my work, I'm sure, you know, other people's work have more interesting applications of this stuff. But like my, a lot of, a lot of parts of my job involve like deliberate optimization. If you're doing things the slow way, uh, it, it drags things down. Um, so, you know, but that, that's, that's, that's more like being paid to do it and less like doing it to increase, uh, quality of life. Like you said, um, I don't know. Uh, I remember at some point, like whenever light bulb goes out, I started buying like the, like higher, um, like radiant bulbs or something. Mm -hmm. they, they're the same waters. They take the same amount of energy to power, but they're like, they're, they're more, they feel more like more like natural light. And I like those a lot more. It keeps my mood elevated. Cool. Um, you know, like, I don't know. So again, these are all really low ball examples, but that maybe that's also kind of part of the point. These are all fractions of a percent of improvement, but they lead up to a better day and it leads up to better weeks and leads to a happier Steven, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's your goal, uh, if your goal is a happier Steven, I'm kidding. If your goal is a happier you, then that, that look for little things that you can do to improve your life, right? What if your goal is a more rational you? I mean, that's A, not the topic, but yes. It's kind of like rational practices for everyday living, right? Well, but... Presumably, it's like, do you want your life to be better by it, or do you want to just be more rational? Now, granted, we think those are one and the same. Right. That's so, that's yeah. why that's why the question, right? If you can make your life, if you can improve how your what your rationality is like, the improvements will come with that. Yeah. God, that, that, that was a terrible sentence. No, it, but it. If you can improve the amount of rationality skill that you have, that'll improve your life in the long run. That's the that's the hypothesis anyway, right? Yes. That's that's, that's the claim. Yeah. Um. In fact, this is also this episode's partly inspired by a response to an email we got from somebody who was asking, like, does this actually do anything? And uh, there's a note in here from Jace in the notes section of our secret crib notes for these episodes that um, it, there's nothing of substance that we can respond to. That's uh, it. Just says I'd like to address this because it was definitely responsible for improving my life, my life outcomes. So we will have to have a footnote on this next episode. But I do think um, like life how. It can improve life as a slightly separate topic of like what are rational practices that you can do though. Yeah, because like rational practices you can do. In fact, this is another one that also improves your life. But like, I mean, the, so half the things that I do that improve my life just come from like the easier part of rationality, like basically like skepticism. Mm -hmm. So like being less sold on bullshit, having having a better bullshit detector is one big thing. Mm -hmm. um, having clearer, having the ability to form clearer uh positions slash beliefs in your head mm -hmm. um a big one i know i've said this before is just having a a range of probabilities in your beliefs rather than you know i believe this is true or this is false right yeah recognizing that beliefs are confidence intervals yeah and aren't on off switches so you don't, you don't even have to sit I've, I've never sat down with a pen and paper and done a bayesian calculation before mm -hmm. i've seen them I, I, I could see the math i could i could plug in chug numbers if i wanted to i've never bothered the now that that's probably not a badge of pride for someone who does a podcast like this <laughs> but the, the the takeaway of it is that like the it's more of a a framework for how to view your uh to inform your view of the world yeah. my 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 beliefs in things aren't binary. They are confidences. And that's also just true. That, um, does, does that, does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think like one of the best rationalist practices you can have, the one I would recommend more than anything else is to actually be concerned about if what you believe is true. 
and and you know really take that seriously not just like i want to be right but i i want to know what is true even if that would prove that what i think is wrong you can't do better if you're not right or rather if you're not if you're not getting less wrong it sounds like that was a really apropos name for this (laughs) website but like if, if your goal is to improve something again if the british cycling team to take that easy analogy if all they wanted if, if they thought that all they had to do was practice more mm-hmm. they wouldn't have been ripping gold medals away from everybody else right yeah um it because it wasn't just about that there were other areas to improve on yeah. and if all they thought was like we're not we're just not riding enough then like they they still wouldn't have won yeah. it, it's so there's it, a wide it, variety of things yeah. yeah and like you know part of part of the, the low-hanging fruit is like getting enough and this is you know not not the hard uh symbolic logic stuff that you'd have to pass a test on in college but like the the basics of a a logical argument and and while being able to throw down a fallacy flag on someone else's argument is like an easy go-to for an online argument Mm -hmm. if you're not doing it that way but in a way to better yourself Mm -hmm. and realize like oh wait sorry that was or you know to yourself you're you're putting together an argument you're thinking oh no wait that that was uh that was a slippery slope let me make sure is the slope actually that slippery Oh no! Wait, that that was that was a um, an ad hominem. I'm I'm attacking the person. I'm not attacking the actual argument. Or you know the hypocrisy thing. Mm-hmm. That that's an ad hominem. You know, again, if you're going to throw down the, the the badge with the word on it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there there are like similar there's a similar vernacular that again you can use to pass as a you can use as a password on a multiple choice test, or you can use to inform your life better, like planning fallacy. Um, I tend to be on time for things because I give myself extra time to do stuff. Um, it's funny when that doesn't work out, but in my experience, that's mainly when there are more unknowns in what you're planning. And that's just the name of the game. And um, I got to say, as someone who is on the receiving end of your punctuality, because we um, record in the Brodsky International Studios that you have to drive to, I appreciate it so freaking much. It is amazing to have someone that like, you know reliably is pretty much always going to be uh, at the agreed upon place and time if you've agreed on a place and time. The key is to never count on good traffic, yeah. but that's just for punctuality. But I mean, like, and also we should mention this is the first time we're recording in Brodsky International Studios in a couple months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's been a while. It's really nice to be able to like record in person again. Yeah, we got, to, I mean, whatever. The apocalypse is still happening, but we got sick of uh, not seeing each other's faces right. so we're, I, you know, we're we're safe distance we're both isolating in our real lives it doesn't matter the, exactly that's that's the thing i was going to say like i don't trust some people like the people at my work that uh i went for one day back into the office and there were two people that just didn't wear masks don't think they even brought masks uh i don't trust those fuckers and this is why in general i don't trust most people but like i trust you to be responsible for the most part and like you can't completely isolate yourself forever. If you have a circle of people that you can trust, I feel okay with um, being with them because, you know, if you have some non-social distancing with a couple dozen people, that's not the problem. The big problem is being in large groups with lots of strangers, like concerts or sporting events or whatever, where these things spread like crazy. Or just even the office. Or even the office, yeah. yeah, with people that you can't trust. Because, I don't know, maybe those people, if they're not wearing masks in the office, how do I know they're not going out to clubs and concerts and shit? Well, they mainly because those places are closed right now, but the point taken. Yeah. There was, a, there was a thing I saw, I think there's a subreddit, this is one of those hate ones that I 
just found and I'll probably leave eventually, but it's called Leopards Ate My Face. Yeah. And it's mainly like people who are fucked, people who are bitten in the butt by like things that they seem like they're advocating for, but then like, oh, I never thought this would happen to me. I never thought leopards would eat my face. Nice. And it was like, hey, everyone who, it was like a cut of a Facebook post where they, you know, whited out the person's name. Mm -hmm. Hey, everyone, I just needed to put out there that I tested positive for COVID. So, um, this is for everyone who came to my barbecue this weekend. I'm really sorry. You guys should all be extra careful and get looked at and mm-hmm. probably try and distance. And it's like, yes, never thought leverage would eat my face. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I, I had a friend over for a movie last night. Um, we, uh, you know, we didn't share a glass or anything, so I'm not, I'm not overly concerned about that, but also he's been at home for the last six fucking weeks. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm concerned every time I go out to the store, I don't want to get on this because right. this is one of yeah. those hate trains, but I'll, I'm, I'm already there, so I'll jump off in the, tra- the train in a second. But I'm at Costco this, what, uh, earlier this week. Yeah. And they've got a, a sign on the door. With them. Yeah. Well, yes, that says you have to wear a mask, mm-hmm. and they've limited the number of people that can come in at a time. Mm-hmm. That said, it felt crowded. I'm not sure if they still have this, and there was no line. It, it was much less crowded than other times I've been in Costco. Oh, good. Well, when I was in there, a couple people, because you can't enter without a mask, which is yeah. tight. Yeah. Apparently, they don't have people walking around making people actually fucking wear them. I oh, passed they took a number. Masks I never saw a number of people with it sitting around their sitting on their sitting on their around their neck. Oh my god! And I'm watching these people just like, <laughs> I'm I'm doing mouth breathing, just like sitting there. I, I I'm like, I, and I never I didn't talk to anybody. I do the same thing whenever I go to Costco. Mm-hmm. I wear headphones and sunglasses the whole time. So like I'm I'm kind of in my own bubble. But I'm just like, dude, this isn't for you. We're not trying to tell you what to do. We're trying to we're t- like, I mean, I'm I'm passing old people in here. Also, I pass an old lady wearing it, not covering her nose. Well, then and like so she's she's, she's, done... just, she's just doing it wrong. I don't think she's doing it stupid. Like this guy who's just like I'm done following the rules. Oh, you think um, she just didn't know that's how masks work? Maybe. Come on. If you can drive yourself to a Costco, you know that the mask is supposed to cover the breathing holes. Ah, uh, some people are really dumb. Maybe she's maybe she's thinking I'll just breathe through my mouth while I got this on or something. I don't know, right? Okay. Uh, I I guess maybe I'm putting too high of a, a prior on the fact that like she's old and in the demographic that could get very very sick. You'd think she'd want to be extra careful. Maybe she wants to die. Maybe she's like, I am over with this. Please, Jesus, take me now. Then just run to the courthouse where people are having all those fucking you know bring your guns to work day and and right. scaring all the the elected officials. Just go there and ask to lick some doorknobs. Like I don't know. Um, yeah, I... Anyway. All right. So, got a couple of listener feedbacks to hit. Right on. Cool. So, Velcro posted in the Discord, not sure if this is the right place, which, first of all, let me stop it right there and say, there is no wrong place. Like, I, for example, saw this feedback and I copied it, so uh, that was obviously the right place in retrospect. On the other all, hand... All the wrong places are where we won't see them, right? Yes. So there, there are plenty of... There are a lot more wrong places than right places. Well, I mean, that's... Part of the thing about Discord is you can't see everything on the Discord unless you're there all the time. And I know I'm not there all the time. I know you guys aren't there all the time. So it's hard to say. It Like, the Discord will get noticed. The Discord will get a lot of other people talking with you. So the Discord is great for that. And the Discord is, by its nature, temporary. It scrolls away after a while. And so you can say things that you probably wouldn't feel comfortable saying like on a subreddit where it's there for posterity right on the other hand you know it won't necessarily be seen and discord and subreddit is just so different so i don't know if it's the right place it's certainly a place and it was seen so sure why not i like the discord i spend more time there than on the subreddit but i realize that the subreddit is like a in theory better place for feedback type of things yeah if you want to guarantee we'll see something uh email us at uh, Conspiracy podcast at gmail.com or is it the Conspiracy at gmail.com I'll double check okay 
Um, but Velcro's actual comment is... It's BayesianConspiracyPodcast at gmail.com. Oh, nice. If you want to guarantee we'll see something... I've got it on my phone. Okay. Um, if you want to guarantee we'll see something, email it to us, and there's a 100% chance we'll see it. If you are okay with us missing it, just post it randomly in Discord. If you want to guarantee that someone will probably look at it, then tag one of the hosts. Don't tag us a ton, because I'll start ignoring them. Yeah. But I get tagged very seldom, so I see everything I'm tagged in. Um, I think you could even tag at conspirators, like our 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 uh, role, yeah. and we all get pinged. So, and if you post it on the subreddit, I will definitely see it at some point. Perfect. This is about the question about the teacher that uh, turned the metal plate around just before the students got in and asked why the opposite side from the heat source was hot. Anyways, the Velcro's actual comment was: I think the unfairness of the physics teacher's question was that it was not a physics question. It was a critical thinking question or a problem-solving question disguised as a physics question. If you had asked the question in a philosophy class or a creative writing class, you probably would have gotten the right answer from a student. And I think that's a fun prompt, like a fun challenge to it anyway. I like where they're coming from that it's, it does seem like an unfair place because they're used, they're, the, the students are used to being posed the questions they can answer. Mm-hmm. Um, granted, this one was in theory answerable, but not with the tools they were given. This right. was a new challenge. Yeah. And it's like, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Aha, you didn't know that word was in Latin or so, you know, whatever, some some trick. Right. Um, it's interesting because they were the only ones that would like be equipped to answer it so wrongly. Mm-hmm. Like if they'd, answer, if they'd ask that in philosophy or creative writing, you wouldn't get a bunch of bullshit wrong answers. Yeah, And so, in fact... Someone might say that makes no fucking sense, mm-hmm. but because all the physicists in this in, in this uh, parable have been taught that they have the tools to answer these questions, they tried to apply their tools, and they they weren't applying the ultimate tool of like does this phenomena even make sense with what with what you're trying to do to it, which is exactly the lesson I was trying to be imparted. Yeah, and also um, the with the story being phrased the way it was, it's much more memorable and made the point Eliezer was trying to make. So even if it was unfair of the physics teacher, it made for a good sequence post. Yeah, and I think the key of it was, um, this was the guessing the teacher's password or false knowledge or one of those. Yeah. Um, so like, if it was not in a physics class, they wouldn't have tried to use their passwords to answer it. Mm-hmm. Like a in a philosophy class, they wouldn't have said, well, maybe because of heat conduction. Right. Right. So yeah, that puts more you know brings more to the light the fact that it is about guessing the teacher's password rather than true knowledge yeah because you know they were using the passwords appropriate for the classroom they were in like if this happened in real life and you got a zero for the day and it impacted your gpa and your chances to get into college or something then yeah i'd call unfair that's bullshit i came here to learn physics not to be tricked um Mm -hmm. i could i could see that being a legitimate defense in an actual case in a real school Uh, as far as a parable i think it's great um macdam writes also, regarding sea lining, there's a workaround to all of it. Start by showing you've put in work into figuring it out on your own and that you're stuck. Uh, and yes, it's usually us that have to do the rational discussion for both sides if the other side is unwilling and if you still want to engage them. This is actually pretty good advice if you do want to engage someone, which a lot of times I just don't anymore. But uh, if you do, that is one thing that will help. Eh, I don't know how often. I would say at least half the time. There's times when people are not arguing in good faith and they just don't want to um they just don't want to talk about it at all, even if you have put in effort and shown that you're trying to do this, um, and you'll still get hit with the sea lining thing. But other times, yeah, if you have actually really put in the work to be like, Really? This how please help me understand and people can see that, then they will uh sometimes they will respond to you. And I guess how often that is depends on the particular community you are in. Yeah, I th- and it's definitely community based. Like, 
I I think some communities are more or less susceptible to sea lioning. Um, some are going to be more or less tolerant of it. And like, there's I think the other side of the coin is th- this is an informal fallacy um, proof by verbosity. Hmm. And so like if you're to twist that little the, the the problem is like you throw out you know you're in a debate you throw out thirty points, and then it's like all right well I can't respond to all thirty. And it's like, aha, you, you addressed points one, two, and three, but not points, you know, four through tw- four through 30. So obviously I win. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the informal fallacy. The The downside is like, if you were to like, I don't know, if you wrote us a comment, uh, if you sent us an email and you think we're wrong about something and you wrote a 16,000 word essay, but all of your research and like, then it ended with like, and so can you guys answer? Here's my research above. Mm-hmm. I can't guarantee I'll finish reading it. Mm-hmm. So there's a succinctness sweet point in there you can say i've looked into this a lot and i i'm not trying to like give you guidelines on just how to email me but like um yes if you had said hey i've looked into this and i'm being sincere here's some places i've looked but you know i agree i think that's a great way to put it i could just imagine i my first place to go is like someone technically doing that but still trying to like munchkin it Mm -hmm. so they just come in again with this gigantic deluge of like here's all the stuff i've looked at and like they just bore you to death and i don't know but obviously that that defeats the point that's not what they're getting at i'm I'm imagining to troll you isn't going to put in that much effort i think you underestimate some trolls okay but well i mean that's fair maybe i'm overestimating trolls um yeah, but that's also not that's that that's me trying to poke holes in something that makes perfect sense and it's a very reasonable thing. If I came, um, uh, yeah, like the polyphasic sleep thing, um, when when Jace brought it to our attention, and my 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 immediate thought was like, I'm pretty sure people need more sleep than that. Otherwise, we'd be doing this all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like we wouldn't just be discovering this. And you were like, I've heard about that. It sounds like it's a bad idea and it hasn't worked out. And and Jace was like, I've heard both of those things. The stuff that I've done, I. I'm following a, a good guideline or a good rubric for this or something. It's a little different than what you guys are doing. So it makes sense to give it a shot. And it's like, cool, great. You got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if for whatever reason they were trying to persuade us of it and they brought us something that anticipated both of those objections and then, Hey, we're, we're in good, we're in a good spot. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, those, uh, comments just, I want to share by the sea lining. That works. I do have two, three kind of PSA sort of things before we wrap up. Sounds like fun. All right. First one is, uh, I got this directly from the Savage Love podcast run by Dan Savage, America's best sex advice columnist. Um, first sex advice columnist? America's sex advice columnist. There's only the one. Dan uh, Savage <laughs> is also a dope name, too. Yeah. yeah. And it's his real name. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, sorry, side note. Yeah. Coworker of mine has a friend named Bruce Carnage. <laughs> and I'm like, what is he, like a fucking supervillain? And yeah. I forget what this guy does, but like that sounds like a professional wrestler slash like fighter for hire slash uh, bodybuilder, right? Yeah. Um, I, but anyway, dope name. Dan Savage. It's hard. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Carries more oomph than Steven Zuber. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Depends how you dress it up. Literally, Savage isn't in my name. So. Well, okay. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah. He just lucked out. Anyway. So that's uh, my contribution. <laughs> we most of the country has been pretty much isolated for the past six weeks, uh, varying levels of isolation. But there's certainly been a lot less sleeping around going on, um, even among people who are normally like, you know, have multiple partners. Point being, um, many STIs spread in the pre um, in the period where they can't be tested for and they don't have any symptoms, uh, kind of like COVID-19 is often uh, spread in the during the asymptomatic phase. Um, but now that we've all been isolated for six weeks, just about every STI that is easily treatable uh, will be 
um, will show up on tests after you've had it for three weeks. And if you haven't been having sex with uh, people unprotected that you don't know, you have now had more than enough time to be in that window where it can be tested for. Uh, if everybody without like long-term monogamous partners goes and gets tested now, we can probably find and uh, then treat a whole bunch of things, which obviously will not completely eliminate STIs because that'll never happen, but could put a serious dent in it for uh, a decent amount of time because now we can hopefully catch a lot of them in one go. So uh, that is a thing that is recommended to any sexually active folks out there. I was about to say sexually active young people, but you know what? Old people have sex too. Old people have a lot of sex and uh, STDs are rampant in um, like nursing homes and stuff. Yes. So... But you probably mainly, haven't mainly been just, isolating from a nursing home. No, no. Yeah, so it doesn't apply to this particular case. But mm -hmm. yeah, um, it's just a uh, fact that many of us would rather not think about that people are having sex in nursing homes. Yeah. Um, your your grandma's getting laid probably. And they don't have, they often don't have condoms at these places. So as weird as it might be, maybe drop a you know big box off for the front desk and say, can you distribute <laughs> these, please? Um, and what a wonderful tangent. <laughs> yep. So I, I this is a, in the spirit of our last episode of... Uh, asking maybe this will be a nice Socratic grilling. Can't you treat like chlamydia with like two pills? Yes. Why doesn't why don't why don't they just give those pills to literally everybody over the age of thirteen in the country? Because they're expensive, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I assume at least part of it would be the religious backlash. Um, but that's a good question. I've never thought it sound, about. It that. sounds like we could just literally eliminate chlamydia then. Wow. Yeah. That's a good thing to look into. Hmm. I mean, I'm not going to fund this. 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 Adventure. And also, wouldn't literally eliminate chlamydia because it would come back into the country through other sources. Well, yeah. When I when I thought of eliminate, I just thought doing this globally. But then, you know, how do you get 14 billion pills into the mouths of everybody on the planet? Yeah. Um. There's a logistics problem. Right. But yeah, I mean, you could certainly curb it. Hmm. Uh. And it's just an antibiotic or something, right? Mm -hmm. Uh. Is this the kind of antibiotic that works more, multiple times? What do you mean multiple times? Like if you get chlamydia in when you're 19 and you get it again when you're 25, yeah, you take yeah. the exact it's same antibiotic. It's not like a one-time, oh, I don't know, maybe by the time you get it again, things will have uh, changed a little bit. But yeah, it's not like you use it one time and it never works again. Hmm. Because, yeah, that does sound like the kind of thing that if there, may, may, maybe if you're really sexually active, you just take this every year yeah. and keep yourself chlamydia-free. Well, I guess you'd be chlamydia-free for at least a couple weeks. You don't really weeks. need to because if you're sexually active and doing it the right way, you're getting tested every six months anyway. Uh, and you aren't, you know, sleeping with new partners without protection immediately among uh, upon meeting them. Gosh, I really hope I don't have to actually say these words, but just to put, you know, make it very clear, there's, there's protocols people take to uh, protect their own health and the health of the community. But, uh, you know, sometimes things slip through, and this this would be one way to help cut down a lot of those. This puts right me in mind now. of um, some one of the, like, the cool thing that Sam Harris has been doing on his podcast lately is just, like, more laid-back conversations. Mm -hmm. And they don't have titles, they have dates. Mm -hmm. And he's done a handful with Paul Bloom. And one of the more recent ones, they were just talking about, you know, everyone's talking about the state of the world right now. And Paul was wondering, like, out loud if... Uh, like in the future, if people be more cautious about this sort of thing, like will hookups be more of a thing than they were, or will, will they be less of a thing forever? Because they're definitely less of a thing now than they were six months ago. Yeah. Um. Will this will this stick around? Like this this level of kind of caution around people. Um. I it's an, an interesting thing to think about, and I wonder if that would impact you know this this particular kind of thing about STIs. Like, 
if people are going to just be less inclined to hook up with people, yeah. you know, might not be afraid of COVID, but now their mind is alerted to germs, you know? At this point, it's only been a few weeks. I don't think it'll make that big a difference, but depending on how long it goes on and how severe it is, yeah, it could potentially. Speaking of which, uh, we have talked a bunch about COVID-19 over at this other podcast that I'm involved in called The Mind Killers. It's uh, me and two people from the Discord, and basically... We talk about like politics and stuff that we shouldn't talk about generally, which is why we call it the mind killers. But uh, if you've been listening to this feed, the last four episodes have been on this feed over the last eight weeks, and the it is no longer on this feed. It is on its own separate feed. So just a quick PSA, if that was anything you were interested in, you will never hear it here again. You have to, uh, to subscribe at that feed to get any more of that. Cool. I got one too. I was gonna. I'll grab this last one. Okay. Anyone who's familiar with Inuyasha's audio rendition of Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality, which hopefully is all of you, hmm. if you haven't, if there's some possible universe where you're hearing this and haven't heard of that book, uh, Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality was a. I think it is the most popular Harry Potter fan fiction on the net. It uh, certainly was at the time of its writing. That's uh, true. I'm not sure if it still is because it's been a number of years, but. I mean, it is at least one of the most popular still. Yeah. And, and at th- the time I, of its writing, it was the most popular. And I think that was gauged by, like, the number of reviews on fanfiction.net or something. It was the standard uh, metric used. Yeah. Read that book. It was great. I think you'll all love it. Um, Inyash did the... It wasn't just an audio book. I, I th- it was a full-on audio production involving 100-plus voice actors and uh, music. Some of it original music from people who listen to the book. Yeah, that was um, awesome. It was great. So, anyway, um, I've been doing a podcast... Oh, well, let me take this in another order. Um, last year or year and a half ago or so, you published a book called What Lies Dreaming? Yes. Well, maybe it was two years ago. Time is, again, uh, weird. It was, I think, July of last year. Okay. So at some point be- before you retired the uh, Method of Rationality feed, you did the first three chapters in audiobook mm-hmm. form. Then at some point after that, but before I started my podcast on that feed called We Want More, which is a... Um, I've, I've talked about it before. Everyone's probably familiar, but uh, I will say that I like that. If you guys have tried that and it wasn't your um, your cup of tea, it's worth giving another shot. Just jump into a more, more recent episode. We should say real quick that We Want More is a like a reaction slash analysis podcast of uh, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. I was going to summarize it long form, but yeah, okay. thank you. I, I mean, I was going to and then didn't because I thought it would take too long, but you're, right. you're, I didn't know you could do it succinctly. So, okay. Yeah, <laughs> great. Um, so yeah, it's... it's uh, another podcast I'm doing comes out on Mondays and the co-host is not in the rationalist community. And so like, as such, isn't like predisposed to already love it. Mm-hmm. And part of me, that's, that's the big value of it that at the end of this story, we'll get to talk about like, Hey, did you learn anything that you like are glad that you learned or did, you know, did you, and also did you have fun? Like did this accomplished its goals. Yeah. Um, have you changed your views on things? I mean, I'm sure he, I, I know he's heard of rationalists because he's a friend of mine, like, I wonder what he thought of us before and how, if at all, that'll have changed after he's read this. Me too. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, more importantly, like, will, or, uh, well, not more importantly, but uh, additionally, I'm wondering, you know, will he walk away with, I, I learned something cool from this book. Yeah. I think I'm going to, you know, apply that to my life. Like, if that happens, hey, mission accomplished. Yeah. We now have a data point that this book can reach people outside this sphere, which is cool. Um, anyway, if people have tried that podcast and stopped listening to it because you didn't like the discussion, uh, give it another shot. We've gotten a lot better at it, and Brian hates the book a little less now because <laughs> it's it's developed into more of its own thing. And hate is strong, but I, I got some of that feedback early on. But, I mean, he's been enthusiastic and enjoying the last dozen episodes. I don't think he ever hated it. I'm, I know I'm, I said this earlier, but... 
Do you think he hated it at one point? No. Okay. I think hate is too strong, but I know that he was accused of hating it. Yeah. So well, because no, no one could listen to him talk about the Sanford prison experiment arc and say he hates this. Yeah. Um, it's anyway. because he comes, he comes at it with a, like I've gotten a new insight into how people with different neuro architectures than ours think by listening to him and like contrasting his reactions to things to my own and then trying to think like, wow, how, how does your brain work that you come to such different conclusions and like not in a like how does your brain work man kind of way but like an actual huh how does that work and like i feel i have a easier time of understanding people who aren't like me after having listened to this stuff that's a very valuable endorsement okay i i think that sounds great um yeah i mean it's it, not it, that it, i agree with them but i understand them a little more right it helps that he's articulate and and you know spells himself out so I think I enjoyed a lot and it's, it's, it's a fun project for me, but if you also want, uh, well, the transition to the, the whole point of this is that it's not just a sales pitch. Um, what lies dreaming was, um, that there was an audiobook project started by some, uh, some, some listeners, fans, friends, whatever people on our discord, God, whatever came out wrong. I, it's, it's hard to call them fans. I guess they're fans, though. It feels, they would have to be. It feels weird to have fans. Like, uh, I'm not a person with fans. I'll, I'll, I'll say it then. So fan, fans of Inuyasha's book and of his work were like, we want to listen to this. Man, are you going to do an audiobook of this? And you're like, I did the first three chapters. It's a lot of work. I don't think I'm going to do it. And they're like, well, we will. And you're like, all right. I, you know, uh, but on the not unreasonable chance that your enthusiasm wavers and you and you tuck out on this because it is a lot more work than it sounds like, um, I'll make the commitment that if you guys get halfway through and it looks like it's still going, I'll start airing them on my on the method of rationality feed. Well, between that promise and when they got halfway through it, I had been on the feed for like what three four months. Yeah, you started and, at the beginning of the year, right? Yeah. So oh, five God. months now. Jeez, yeah, five or six because we're on like episode twenty eight, so twenty eight weeks. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we we are. Anyway, uh, we, we want more comes out on Mondays, and the audiobook of What Lies Dreaming will be coming out on Fridays in the same feed. So yeah. do check that out. Yeah. I hope you guys all enjoy it, and um, eventually we'll be in one big audiobook, but for now, coming out one chapter per week. And the specter of Scott Daly just appeared before me to remind you that this is not a Doof Media-affiliated audiobook, although I don't think that... Uh, I was gonna like say something about how I'm sure he'd love it, but we, you know, I, there's we're not gonna able to get it on his reading list anytime soon. No. Um, but yes. Uh, anyway, check it out. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Look forward to that on the Methods of Rationality feed. Cool. And before we go, we must thank a patron as we always do, because the patrons are what keep us going. Okay, we'd like to thank Pointless One, the person who brought you this episode by their special request. That's right. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things, like, and I know I flounder every time I th- we think the patron, but, like, uh, financial support means a lot, and the, it's it's not just about, uh, oh, look, we get, we get a check or something, like, they, much of it goes back into keeping our equipment up, up to par, I know that uh, in the last few months you bought a solid-state drive for your computer, because that's the one we record on, and for annoying technical reasons, it would occasionally lag mm-hmm. on the standard memory, and it, we would lose data. It would suck. Um, do we get? I've never gotten an orphan file. I think when opening yours, where like it has like little bits that it knows are missing and it tells you about it. It it, it saves everything and nothing gets lost. Um, Ever since we got that one. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that came right out of the Bayesian conspiracies budget, and it was thanks to listeners like you. Mm-hmm. So thanks a lot, man. And or, also provides me, us with a I, lot of or I gendered pointless one. I, I said thanks, thanks, man, but I meant it like in the. I'm looking at my yeah. dude, my dude glasses I've got. I've had but, someone occasionally like tell me that man is a gender term and i'm like 
I mean, in some contexts, yes. Obviously, man is the noun for a, a male of the human species. But, like, lots of time when I say man, I don't mean man. I mean, like, man. But I, but I totally get how it's much less ambiguous, or it's much more non-ambiguously, what, it's, it's much more obviously gendered than dude. So I'll say, thanks, dude. I, like, I've, I've literally said, aw, man. Because I'm, I mean, like, ah, oh, geez, like, right? Ah, oh, shucks, you know, like, ah, oh, man, yeah. And and I do not mean it even the slightly gendered way there. Just, That's fair. Just the Spain, yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. pointless one. Thanks for everything, and thanks to everyone else who listens and does stuff. You can email us at patientconspiracypodcast at gmail dot com. I mentioned earlier that is where we are guaranteed to see what you say. Mm-hmm. If you are just wanting to join the conversation, in the episode description of every episode, um, both on the website and in your in your iTunes or in your podcast player of choices feed is a link to the discord i've had a couple people message asking how to get on and the link's in every episode and it's on the website but that's that's a place where i don't know how many people, a couple hundred people are on there mm-hmm. and several dozen actives who are on there all the time so there's always conversation on there um and if you want to talk to us you can ping us on there or we're occasionally floating around especially in the last few weeks um there's also the subreddit there so. is the subreddit which yeah i check at least every week cool so yeah, thank you everyone. Thank you, Pointless One, for your support. It really does keep us going. Yeah, obviously, uh, if if you're if you're noticing at all any financial strain during the hardship right now or ever, basically, right, um, totally cut this from your your cut cut supporting this show from your your budget. Yeah, there's uh, people that are out of work and making no money. Yeah, like we hate to see you go, but you're you're not going anywhere. Keep listening, keep enjoying it. Don't don't think how am I going to factor in my my Bayesian conspiracy Patreon donations? If you're if that thought occurs to you, just don't and and, and lose us. Yeah. Um, yeah, this 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 shouldn't be. This is no obligation. We appreciate your support, but do not feel bad if like anything gets in the way of it. Yes, so. take care of your life first. Yes, please. Perfect. That's I. I need to let you just do stuff. I that, that was a like a one sentence <laughs> summary of the five minute point I was trying to make. I, you made it well too, though. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, the advantage of summaries is people already have the long thing. So like, if you just saw the summary, it wouldn't make sense. So like, succinctness is its own virtue. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it's like the thing. A woman, uh, not a woman, girl arrives at a strange location, murders the first person she sees, then teams up with three strangers to murder again. Is a very succinct summary of The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> okay, you, you switched me back. Thank you. That was a very good. <laughs> uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you in a fortnight. Sounds good. Bye. Puppy hiatus. Am I am I committing a rationalist sin?